0: really fancy a good story. I'm Emily and I'm Rebecca and it's Christmas! (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas to you all lovely listeners. Feliz Navidad, bah humbug, whatever you want. (laughs) If you're listening to this on Christmas day when it comes out, special thank you for you know letting us be part of your Christmas day. Mm. Emily what will you be doing when this comes out? What will I be doing? So this
1: comes out at eight in the morning. So I will just be getting out of bed, probably. We'll be doing our presents and then we will be eating pancakes and bacon because that's oh, what we do on a Christmas morning.
0: That sounds so good. <laughs> what about you? I, well, I, this shows you how much I have to do with the production side of the podcast because I thought it came out at nine. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's always been eight. Nice. Um, <laughs> I'm never awake at eight, so I'll not be awake at eight. But then soon after that I will probably be drinking Buck's fizz on mm. the living room floor and I'll be like trying to persuade my cat to open her present with her little tiny cat hands mm. but she won't be able to so I will open it as we do every year. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah this is our last episode of the year. I know. Do you have a highlight to share from the week?
1: Yes I do. My highlight I mean, I didn't really know what my highlight was, but I've, I've kind of worked out <laughs> <laughs> that it was I had my first, like, group meeting with the other PhD students this week. So cute. So it's just nice getting to meet the couple that I hadn't met before, even though it was obviously online, but it's cool to hear about, like, their research and their ideas, mm-hmm. and there's loads of exciting stuff in the pipeline for the university, so that's cool.
0: Yeah.
1: And, yeah, it's good friend of the podcast, Rhiannon, was there. Hey, Rhiannon! <laughs> and her and Daniel, my supervisor, shouted out the podcast. So
0: That's so sweet. Yeah. I love that.
1: <laughs> so that was nice. What about you?
0: Well, oh God, it's been a week. you think that mine would be that Taylor Swift dropped her new album, mm. Evermore, and that is 100% up there, but it has been surpassed, because this week I got to meet over Zoom, one of my creative idols, Maisie Peters. Um, she's a singer songwriter, she does like pop and like acoustic sad bops. <laughs> and she is probably I think the wittiest lyricist of her generation. She's sort of like the Billy Irelish age crowd. Mm. So yeah I got to meet with her after she liked a poem that I wrote in response to her song, Maybe Don't, Stream Maybe Don't. And we chatted about music and poetry and books and evermore. And it was awesome. So big thank you to Maisie for taking time out to do that. Oh, I love that you got to do that. I know. It was proper like meet your heroes moment. (laughs) And it was so awkward because she's like younger than me and so successful. And I was just (laughs) like, I'm such a big fan of you also. Like, And then she was like, she's learning to drive. And she was like, yeah, but you can drive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, well, yep, yep, that's true.
1: <laughs> Before we jump in, shall we explain what this episode is going to be? Because oh, it is slightly different.
0: Yes, let's do that. Do you want to yes. take it away? So
1: we have decided to do kind of like a year roundup of some favourite books, but we didn't just want to do a list of our favourite books. So we decided to go through it and pick out our favourite setting, our favourite character, our favourite like passage and our favourite new author that we discovered. Yeah. Uh, and then we're also going to do just a bunch of other stuff because, you know, that's what we do. Yep. So we've also got our favourite album of the year and our favourite film or TV show of the year, and then a couple Christmasy Christmassy favourites as well.
0: Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Settle in, <laughs> it's going to be a nice one. It's been so hard to pick, though. I know.
1: I really struggled. I did all of this last night because... <laughs> To be fair, I've been working in retail at Christmas, which you guys all know is yeah. a tiring. thing. <laughs> so I've I've not had time to do it until last night, and I was just sat in my bed,
0: surrounded by books, just like I don't know what to do. <laughs> this is like a tangent, but like so I've not been in shops for mm. months, um, and Emily obviously goes to work every day in in a shop. Yeah, and I had to go into the town centre yesterday, and I cried in the street. Because <laughs> it's so stressful. Like, I'm not even, this is not an exaggeration. Like, I came out of the place where I had to be and I was so stressed. And I felt so scared. I cried in the street. And then I was just like, Emily, I don't know how you've been doing this. I literally go
1: to my work and I stay in my work and I don't go out into the like mall into because it's just. Yeah. I mean I had to do it, I had to do it today to get a present and it was busy.
0: It's and I did not like it. So No. Anyway, so mad respect for for that. <laughs> but anyway Thanks. So let's dive into our infatuation. Okay. <laughs>
1: So, what are we starting with? Our favourite setting?
0: Favourite setting? Favourite world that you've been to in books this year? Who's going first? Is it? Is it me,
1: as usual? Or um, you? Yeah,
0: or? I feel weird to go first. Okay, I'll go first. go first.
1: <laughs> first of all, before I read out any of these, I'd like to say that each quote I've picked for these answers is really long, because I just couldn't solve myself, and they're all multiple pages long. Because so, I just thought I'd go like all out. So I have skipped my writing chat, so that I can uh. fit in my... <laughs> love it so hopefully you guys don't mind my my reading out voice so yeah favorite setting we're starting with and I thought I wouldn't have to think hard about this one but even when I picked the book I picked I realized that there are so many places within it Oh, that okay. I like made it more complicated for myself. I was similar. So the blurb of this book literally says, Are you lost or are you exploring? <laughs> Which I think speaks for itself. Love it. And the book is, because of course I had to talk about it after mentioning it in nearly every episode, The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. Naturally. The Starless Sea, just quick summary, follows grad student Zachary Ezra Rollins as he finds a book that contains a story about his own life. Mm. And he basically sets off on a quest to find where it came from, which it turns out is an underground labyrinth filled with stories. Epic. And you follow him as he searches for the end of his story. Oh. And I, I will do a whole episode on this book, so I really have, like, limited myself to just talking about one moment here, but what I will say is that Erin Morgan stern's incredible at writing settings. Mm. You feel like you're there and her places are often very like, beautiful and intricate and elaborate and like they hold a lot of symbolism in them as well. And there are some very, very beautiful and grand settings in this book, but like some are far more fantastical than the ones I'm going to read. But I picked this quote for a few specific reasons. And one is that it's near the start of the book and I don't want to like ruin any of the later settings. Another reason is that this one shows the quite like playful tone which she has. Mm. The scene also introduces a lot of the symbolism of the book and it also does two very important things in my opinion, which is that it gives great Zachary like characterization and also grounds the idea that this book and Zachary is essentially playing out an RPG. Okay. So he's a graduate student studying emerging media studies he's doing his thesis on video games and this scene is the one which sticks out the most in my mind is leaning into the idea that zachary is on an rpg like quest where he is exploring his surroundings okay and i'll read it now kind of long but that's a point and i will talk more about that and other stuff once i'm finished (laughs) so our context zachary has found a magical gold painted door okay that leads to an elevator okay and that elevator leads somewhere and this is it
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> is so cute her eyes are like lit up right now
1: she's pure buzzing i
0: so excited
1: zachary's suspicions that he wasn't actually traveling anywhere were unfounded as the room he is looking out toward is not the cave-like space he started in this is a luminous room with a curved panelled ceiling. It reminds him of the atrium from the university library, but smaller, with honey coloured marble walls, opaque and varied in tone, but translucent and glowing, covering everything except for the stone floor in the elevator and another door on the other side of the room. He suspects he actually is as far underground as the length and speed of the elevator ride suggested, even though the voice in his head keeps insisting that such things are impossible. It is too quiet. There is a heaviness in the air, the feel of weight above him. Zachary steps out of the elevator and the doors close behind him. The clanking sound resumes, the elevator returning to somewhere else. Above its doors is a half-minute indicator with no numbers, only a gold arrow moving slowly upward. Zachary walks to the door on the other side of the room. It's a large door with a golden doorknob that reminds him of his original painted door, only bigger, as though it has grown along with him. And this one is not painted, but real carved wood, its gilded embellishments fading in places, but the bee and the key and the sword remain distinct. Zachary takes a breath and reaches for the doorknob. It is warm and solid, and when he tries to turn it, it does not budge. He tries again, but the door is locked. Seriously? he says aloud. He sighs and takes a step back. The door has a keyhole and, feeling silly about it, Zachary bends down to look through it. There is a room beyond, that much is obvious, but other than an irregular movement to the light, he cannot discern anything else. Zachary sits on the floor, which is polished stone and not very comfortable. He can tell from this angle that the stone is worn down in the centre of the doorway. Many people have walked here before him. Wake up, the voice in his head says. You're usually good at this sort of thing. Zachary stands, leaving flakes of gold paint behind him, and goes to inspect the rest of the room. There is a button near the elevator, half concealed in marble and whatever brassy metal the marble panels are connected with. Zachary pushes the button, not expecting a result, and gets precisely that. The button remains unlit, the elevator silent. He tries the other doorless walls next and finds them more cooperative. In the middle of the first wall is an alcove set at window height. It vanishes from view even a few steps away, lost in the glow of the marble. Inside, there is a bowl-like depression, a basin, as though it is a wall fountain with no water, the sides curving inward to a flat spot on the bottom. In the center sits a small black bag. Zachary picks up the bag, It has a familiar weight in his hand the lifting of the bag reveals a single word carved into the stone beneath it roll you've got to be kidding zachary says as he turns the contents of the bag onto his palm six dice of the classic six-sided variety carved from dark stone each side has a symbol rather than numbers or dots engraved and accented with gold he turns one over so he can identify all of the symbols The bee and the key and the sword are familiar, but there are more. A crown, a heart, a feather. Zachary puts the bag to the side and gives the dice a thorough shake before letting them tumble into the stone basin. When they settle, all of the symbols are the same. Six hearts. He barely has time to read them before the bottom falls out of the basin and the dice in the bag disappear. Zachary doesn't bother checking the door before walking to the opposite wall and he is unsurprised to find a matching alcove. A tiny stemmed glass rests inside, the type for sipping cordials or liqueurs with a matching glass lid on top like some of his fancier teacups. Zachary picks up the glass. Again, a single word is carved underneath. Drink. The glass contains a small measure of honey-coloured liquid, not much more than a sip. Zachary removes the lid from the glass and sets it down next to the carved instruction. He sniffs the liquid. It has a honey sweetness, but it also smells of orange blossom and vanilla and spice. Zachary recalls innumerable fairy tale warnings against eating or drinking in Underworlds and at the same time realises he is incredibly thirsty. He suspects this is the only way forward. He downs the drink in a single shot and replaces the empty glass on the stone. It tastes of everything he smelled in it and more, apricot and clove and cream, and it has a very, very strong kick of alcohol. He loses his equilibrium enough to reconsider the relative stupidity of the whole idea, but as quickly as the glass falls into its own abyss, it passes. His head, which had been pounding and swimming and sleepy before, feels clearer. Zachary returns to the door and when he turns the knob it moves, the lock clicking open for him allowing him through. The room beyond the door looks like a cathedral. It's sweeping high ceilings, intricately tiled and buttressed, if buttressed is a word. There are six large columns, also tiled in patterns, though some tiles are missing here and there, mostly near the bases, leaving bare stone visible beneath. The floor is covered with tiles worn down to the stone beneath, more so near Zachary's feet and in a loop around the perimeter of the round space with heavier wear near the other entrances. There are five entrances, not counting the door he has stepped through. Four are archways, leading off in different directions into darkened halls, but directly opposite, a large wooden door rests slightly ajar, a soft light beyond. There are chandeliers, some hanging at irregular, chandelier-inappropriate heights, and others resting on the floor in illuminated piles of metal and crystal, their tiny bulbs dimmed or extinguished entirely. A larger light above is not a chandelier at all, but a cluster of glowing globes hung amongst brass hoops and bars. Craning his neck, Zachary can see hands at the end of the bars, human hands cast in gold and pointing outward, the tile above them laid out in a pattern of numbers and stars. In the centre, the midpoint of the room, a chain drops from the ceiling, terminating in a pendulum that hangs inches above the floor, slowly swaying in a tight rotation. Zachary thinks the entire contraption might be a model of the universe, or maybe a clock of some sort, but he has no idea how to read it. Hello, he calls. From one of the darkened halls there is a creaking sound, like a door opening, but nothing follows. Zachary walks the perimeter of the room, peering down hallways filled with books filed on long carving shelves and stacked on floors. Down one hall he spots a glowing pair of eyes staring back at him, but he blinks and the eyes are gone. Zachary turns his attention back to the maybe universe, maybe clock, to inspect it from a different angle. One of the smaller bars is moving in time with the pendulum, and as he attempts to discern if any of the globe shapes have moons, there is a voice behind him. May I be of assistance, sir? Zachary turns so quickly he hurts his neck and flinches, and is unable to tell whether the man who is regarding him with mild concern is reacting to the action or his presence or both. Someone else is in this place. This place is actually here. This is all happening. Zachary dissolves into instant near-hysterical laughter, a bubbling giggle that he attempts to stifle and fails. The man's expression switches from mild concern to moderate. This man gives an immediate impression of agedness, probably because of his stark white hair, long worn and styled in impressive braids, But Zachary blinks and stares, and as his contact lenses reluctantly focus, he can tell the man is maybe pushing 50, or at least not as old as the hair implies. It's also dotted with pearls strung along the braids, camouflaged when their sheen isn't caught in the light. His eyebrows and eyelashes are dark, black like his eyes. His skin looks darker in contrast with his hair, but is a mid-toned brown. He wears wire-rimmed glasses balanced on an equine nose and reminds Zachary a little bit of his 7th grade math teacher but with much cooler hair and a deep red, gold-embroidered robe tied with a number of looping cords. On one hand he wears several rings. One ring looks like an owl. May I be of assistance, sir, the man repeats. But Zachary can't stop laughing. He opens his mouth to say something, anything, but nothing will come. His knees forget how to work and he slumps to the floor in a pile of wool coat and gold paint, finding himself at eye level with a ginger cat who peers around the edges of the man's robes and stares at him with amber eyes and this somehow makes the whole situation even crazier and he has never laughed himself into a panic attack before, but hey, there's a first time for everything. (laughs) That is wild. (laughs) Sorry that was so long, but I couldn't work out what to leave out. No, all of that was necessary.
0: (laughs) That was like a nightmare, but like a really beautiful one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It reminds me of just the the whole, the vibe, not necessarily the setting. Mm. There's a film, and I can't remember what the film is, but there's like people in a room and this guy, he's like a screenwriter and he's trying to come up, like demonstrate how you tell a story on a screen. And he's like, Mm. you know, a woman goes over... Um, To a box, and she opens the box, and like something comes out of it, and then she like I don't know she like throws something on a fire, and then you realise that the person, like the the point of view of the camera, is another person in the room, but you haven't known Mm. up until that point. I can't remember what scene this film is from. What film this scene is from? Wow, um, <laughs> I don't even notice that. <laughs> I th- I think that we've both watched it, but I'm explaining it really badly. But anyway. I feel like
1: there's a scene about screenwriting, and it kind of has that tone mm-hmm. in um, *Hail Caesar*. But I don't think that's what you're talking no, about because it's, it's not that tone at all.
0: I'll try and remember Okay. Anyway, but it also reminds me of the Ministry of Magic in *Harry yeah. Potter* when they go yeah. and there's all the rooms. See, I know that was a long quote, and it may
1: not be the most exciting place in the novel, but I think it's a good passage to look at in terms of how it sets up many things in the book like the bee key sword crown heart and feather are jam-packed into this book right there's probably a mention of at least one on every page okay so you have all of those symbols in the one place you have the drink which is obviously an alice in wonderland reference Mm -hmm. and suggests zachary's about to go down the rabbit hole i mean he's literally just gone underground so he's He's there. Yeah. And then you have the RPG tone, which I mentioned. If anyone's ever played a video game where the idea is exploration, then you'll understand what Zachary was doing here. He found himself in a new place, <clears throat> a fairly empty room. He was checking all of the doors and the movable objects and finding clues And one criticism I've seen of this book is that it meanders a bit, but I think the people who criticize it for that have either missed the point or just forgotten what zachary studies yeah like right at the start of the book zachary says that reading a novel is like playing a game where all the choices have been made for you ahead of time by someone who is much better at this particular game
0: i love that
1: yeah and i think it's a kind of literary genius on morgan stern's part to make that part of her novel like she basically spells out for you that you're about to go exploring with zachary because we're reading a novel and Zachary likes video games. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's genius. And also the story's so beautiful that I wouldn't want to rush through it anyway. So I'm glad that it meanders. Yeah, that's like, so
0: that was so like rich, it felt like you yeah. were going through like it was like those old like Paradise Lost descriptions mm. of like the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You know, where it's just like there's way too much here. But yeah. it's enjoyable. Yeah,
1: exactly. And like that's why I wanted to pick that passage in particular because I feel like every setting that you visit in that book she has that much detail oh. in it and it's just amazing like the, the book is great for many many reasons but I picked it for the setting like category specifically because that's just like a world I want to go to
0: yeah it sounds pretty um, amazing so yeah that that was mine sorry it's a lot <laughs> no, don't
1: be sorry it's fun and
0: what about you? What have you picked for your favourite setting? So my favourite setting right, let me go back. <laughs> during lockdown, I'm not a big fantasy reader, but during lockdown I read the first two installments of the Heroes Arc series by Lyndon Forrester, which is a fantasy series, and it's a very like classic fantasy series in that it's it's more Lord of the Rings than like Cassandra Clare. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you have, <clears throat> you have a quest. Um, it's l- it's literally called the hero's arc. Yeah. Um, and it plays to those archetypes very like, consciously and self-reflexibly. Mm-hmm. And so obviously because you're on a quest, you have loads of settings, and they're all amazing and rich settings. And what I loved about this series was that it reminded me how fun it can be to have a book that isn't static. A lot of the novels that I read do take place in like three different. Settings, yeah, and this just blasts through so many. Mm. So, some of them were like the hero travels from a tiny, like, sandy little island, he goes to big, like, red dirt mountain ranges, like the Grand Canyon. Mm. Um, you have a giant's circus with like a coliseum. Whoa, that's cool! Yeah, <laughs> you have like a kingdom that's very like northern Europe inspired, so it's all like wooden gates and mm-hmm. a castle mm-hmm. um, but then you also have a kingdom that feels a lot more Middle Eastern it's got like markets and bazaars and like it's really colour rich and yeah. everything honestly like there's so there's so many settings it's really cool I'd recommend it but my favourite one was in the second book um, The Green Men and it is the elf inhabited oak wood mm. it's called The Garden of the Primes So I love this setting, I love the descriptions of it, and I will read a description, but I think what I loved about this setting is that it did so much with the themes of the book, which are, it's like a heavily environmentalist book, and so the lore of the Garden of the Primes is that it's a huge valley of trees that are all the original of that species of tree. (gasps) That's cool. Yeah, and they are the, the green men. Yes. And so the the lore is that elves are the spirits of trees that have been ripped from the tree due to attack, like the tree right. being cut down or disease. And they once once they're elves, so once they're separated from their tree, they then protect the sacred garden of their elders. Oh, I love that. Right? It's very Taurus energy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love the tree people. <laughs> no, I love that. But the the other thing that I love about it is that you only really get elves in the the oak wood, um, and I think I'll I'll just start reading out the quote to to explain that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a really cool setting. So for context, our our band of heroes is being led by the woodsman Lars who's very mysterious and no one really knows what he does. And we have a couple of dwarves and a human and an elf happening here. So, Gwen is an owl. Okay. (laughs) Lars led them back down the path that had been swarmed with fireflies two nights ago. Now, in the day, it was a pleasant winding walkway lined with moss-covered trees. In the canopy above, birds of every colour flew from branch to branch. Where's Gwen? asked Cole. Oh, she's around. She has friends here. She's probably off somewhere being fanned by someone with a really big leaf. Ahead, the forest was opening. The ground disappeared in front of them and formed a bowl in the land. Lars stopped at the precipice and the others lined up beside him. The beginning of the feature was marked by the luscious and greenest moss Arian had ever seen. Aren't we going in? No, said Lars. We must wait for invitation. Arian looked at the trees growing out of the moss. The odd elf walked down the slope towards the obscured centre. Arian didn't know much about trees. He knew they had leaves and branches and bark and roots. He could tell some apart, but he knew few of their names. Pine he could do. Arian's always informative grandmother had described it to him well. He couldn't remember seeing one anywhere else in the forest, but there was one in front of him now. In all of Granny's lessons, she had not ever mentioned a face. Formed by the cracks of the bark, Arian could see two slits of its closed eyes. A lichen brow nestled above them. Below, a long nose drooped over the seam of a mouth. Lars, my friend, are you not coming to see him? The group turned to the elf behind. She had beautiful olive skin and twigs entwined through her reedy hair. Of course, Radiana, said Lars. May my friends come too. They are welcome. I will show you the way. Radiana moved between them like a breeze and drifted across the moss. "Welcome to the garden of the prime's gentlemen," said Lars, "the home of the green men." <laughs> so that's that's the, you know, there's there's loads more that I could read um about the the tree that um that speaks. <laughs> but I want what I wanted to skip to was just read out this little passage about the lore um, because it's it's why I love the setting so much mm-hmm. this is Lars the woodsman explaining the garden and the elves he says that an elf is a spirit of a tree they live and develop within and usually they never leave it is only when their trees fatally under attack that they are ripped from their vessel and forced to defend it only within this forest where the power of the primes is so strong does this give the soul such a physical form to become an elf? Trees that grow further afield from the Garden of the Primes can only produce a shadow of an elf, a phantom with varying physical presence. Sometimes they are a ghostly figure, capable of inflicting vicious wounds upon the attacker. Other times it is a form which cannot be seen, but may leave a scratch on its victims from phantom claws. Whatever the form, these spirits are always known as dryads, tree nymphs, spectres of the forest. These creatures are possessed by the pain from the divide between them and their body. I work between the elves and the men to ensure that no trees with their souls intact are ever felled. Oh,
1: That's, like, the kind of question I would have asked was what about trees that weren't, like, in that yeah,
0: forest? Yeah, exactly. So I just, I love that... I think I love the setting because it opened up so much of the story yeah. to me. Um, and also I just like, I'm a sucker for forests and garden imagery. <laughs> so I was like, the idea of, like, a garden of these, like, big majestic original trees that mm-hmm. that speak. I was like, yeah. oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so, But now, like, it's stuck in my head so much that every time that I walk past, like, a broken tree, I, like, wonder about the elf that comes out yeah. of the tree. And I'm like, I hope it's close enough that it can be a real elf. <laughs>
1: I love when books make you do that though. I know. Like make you like notice stuff and you're like, ooh,
0: Yeah. it could be magic. I also loved it because I've like I used to read a lot of fantasy when I was a kid, but I've never heard like that kind of elf lore. No. They're always connected with the woods, but Yeah. But never that amount of detail. I just enjoyed all the thought put into it. So yeah. <laughs> Who's your favourite character that you met this year? This is Hard. Yup. <laughs> I changed mine in the middle. Oh, of same. It. So did I. So did I. So,
1: for context,
0: I love when a book makes
1: me fall in love with a character, whether that's like a relatability thing, like an attraction yeah. thing, or just like that character is interesting to read. Because not every book is like that, but I love when an author really focuses in on the characters. And I've said this before on the podcast, but I love how Cassandra Clare writes characters and I don't know what it is that she does but she without fail makes characters that you care for Mm. in like every single book that she writes and I don't understand how. (laughs) So this year I read quite a few of the Shadowhunter books which I hadn't read before. I'd read nine of them when I was in my teens and this year I returned to the world of Demon Hunters and I read another seven. Amazing. (laughs) So I thought I'd pick a favourite character from one of those seven this was also hard. There are many. I have honourable mentions. <laughs> who are Kit Herndale, Mark Blackthorne, George Lovelace, all of the Merry Thieves, that's four characters, and Cordelia Carstairs. Okay. So, what I have done is I have picked a favourite character, which is Julian Blackthorne. Okay. But with Julian, I do have to mention Emma Carstairs because the whole dark artifices... Is that who you say that word? Artifices. I think... Or is it artifices?
0: I think if you were if I was saying one, I'd say artifices.
1: Yeah, but it's the, really the hard to say. Artifices
0: me. I think artifices sounds nicer. Artifices. Yeah, that me works. and my
1: sister have had this exact conversation because I'm like, I don't know how to say that word.
0: I think okay, is she American? She's American. Yeah. So if you're like dark artifices, dark artifices. Yeah, artifices sounds better.
1: Artific- okay, we're gonna go with that. <laughs> The whole Dark Artifices series, amongst all the like demon hunting political stuff, is about their forbidden relationship. Okay. They are shadow hunters who are demon hunters who have some angel blood and they are parabatai, which basically means that they are like bonded for life. So, like, they fight together, they're stronger when they're fighting together, mm. uh, which is obviously good when you have to, you know, defeat evil but Julian and Emma are in love and you're not meant to be in love with your parabatai. Naturally. It's, it's forbidden.
0: Oh, I love it. It's like my cop serial, two, yeah. two leads in the cop serial fall in love, yeah. but they can't. Oh, it's so good. Yeah.
1: So, and I should just say that's not a spoiler for the records. Like, that is the Before. series. Like, we know this going into the books. So, I love Julian for many reasons. He is a very dark character, actually. He, again, this is... It's not a spoiler for this series, it's kind of a spoiler for The Mortal Instruments, so I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, he killed his own father, <laughs> <laughs> out of necessity, not choice. Some Greek tragedy shit. When he was 12. And he has many siblings who he has had to raise as if they were his children since then. Okay. He's now 17. Okay. And for lots of very complicated reasons, he lies about many, many things. <laughs> Pretty much always to protect his family He's also an artist. He's a painter. He is very caring and loving, but also has a very stoic nature too. And he's called mature a lot, uh, but really he's just like traumatized. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> oh, we're getting. I'm getting some big Luke Danes vibes from this man.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, not. He's not. Mm, I was about to say he's not quite as grumpy, but he is kind of grumpy. <laughs>
0: maybe yeah stoic but actually he just doesn't know how to have feelings
1: yeah he is He has a. this is a feature that I love about Julian he has a mural painted on his wall which he painted himself when he was younger and it is of Rapunzel and her tower that's like covered in thorns oh. remember his name is Julian Blackthorn oh. <laughs> sad times he's also badass because all Shadowhunters are so he's cool but this quote I wanted to read out is a scene from Lady Midnight, which is the first book in the Dark Artifices series. <laughs> <laughs> and Julian and Emma have slept together and know that it's wrong, but they're still, like, drawn to each other, and this scene is kind of like a confession of love. And again, don't count this as a spoiler, it is inevitable, but I wanted to share it because I think it's a very lovely, although very dramatic, way of saying that you love someone.
0: Is this the one that's, like, your favourite quote? No, that's in The Infernal Devices.
1: (laughs) Because I'd cry if I read that one. (laughs) You're thinking about Will and Tessa, which is... That's a whole other relationship. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, this also just shows some of, like, Cassie's, like, funny little character moments that she sprinkles throughout the drama. But, let's go It's such a
0: tome. (laughs) Looks like you're holding a Bible
1: or something. (laughs) I know. I need you to come with me. His voice was tight, as if he were screwing his courage up to do something horrible. I need you to see something. You make it sound like you're a serial killer with a freezer full of arms, Emma muttered as he shouldered open the door. The clave would probably be happier about that. Emma wanted to rub her cheek against his, feel the roughness of his stubble he was entirely a mess actually, his shirt on inside out and his feet bare. She felt a rush of affection and wanting so intense that her whole body tightened. You can put me down, she said. I'm fine, I don't need to be princess carried. He laughed, a short, choked laugh. I didn't know that was a verb, he said, but he set her on her feet. Carefully and slowly, and they leaned into each other as if neither of them could stand the fact that in a moment they would no longer be touching. Emma's heart began to pound. It pounded as she followed Julian down the empty corridor, and it pounded as they started up the back staircase and went into his studio. It pounded as she leaned against the paint-covered island, and Julian went to take a key from a drawer by the window. She saw him breathe in, his shoulders rising. He looked the way he had when he was stealing himself to be whipped. That's, that's another story. Oy, oy. <laughs> it's not that kind of, kind of whipping. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't notice that until I read it out. Oh, having gathered his courage, he went to the door of the locked room, the one that no one but him ever entered. He turned the key in the lock with a decisive click and the door sprang open he stood aside. Go in, he said. Years of ingrained habit and respect for Julian's privacy held Emma back. Are you sure? He nodded. He was pale. She drew away from the island and crossed the room with a sense of apprehension. Maybe he did have bodies in there. Whatever it was, it had to be something awful. She'd never seen him look like he did now. She stepped inside the room, For a moment she thought she'd stepped into a funhouse of mirrors. Reflections of herself stared back from every surface. The walls were covered with tacked up sketches and paintings, and there was an easel as well, set up in one corner near the single window, with a half-finished drawing on it. Two countertops ran the length of the east and west walls, and those two were covered in art. Every image was of her. There she was training, holding Cortana, playing with Tavi, reading to Drew, In one watercolour, she was sleeping on the beach, her head pillowed on her hand. The details of the slope of her shoulder, the individual grains of sand stuck to her skin like sugar, had been rendered so lovingly that she felt almost dizzy. In another, she rose above the city of Los Angeles. She was naked, but her body was transparent. One could only see the outlines of it, and the stars of the night sky shone through her. Her hair tumbled down like brilliant light, illuminating the world. She remembered what he'd said to her when they were dancing. I was thinking about painting you, painting your hair, that I'd have to use titanium white to get the colour right, the way it catches light and almost glows. But that wouldn't work, would it? It's not all one colour, your hair. It's not just gold. It's amber and tawny and caramel and wheat and honey. She reached up to touch her hair, which she'd never thought of as anything but ordinary blonde, and then stared at the painting clipped to the easel. It was half finished, an image of Emma striding out of the ocean, Cortana strapped to her hip. Her hair was down as it was in most of the pictures and he had made it look like the spray of the ocean at sunset when the last rays of daylight turned the water to a brutal gold. She looked beautiful, fierce, as terrible as a goddess. She bit her lip. You like my hair down, she said. Julian gave a short laugh. Is that all you have to say? She turned to look at him directly They were standing close together. These are beautiful, she said. Why didn't you ever show them to me, to anyone? He exhaled, gave her a slow, sad smile. Ems, no one could look at these and not know how I feel about you. She put her hand on the counter. It suddenly seemed important to have something to keep her steady on her feet. How long have you been drawing me? He sighed. A moment later his hands came to rest in her hair his fingers twined in the strands My whole life I remember you used to but then you stopped I never stopped I just learned to hide it His smile vanished My last secret I very much doubt that Emma said I have lied and lied and lied Julian spoke slowly I've made myself an expert at lying I stopped thinking lies could be destructive even evil, until I stood in that beach and told you I didn't feel that way about you. She was gripping the counter so hard her hand ached. Feel what way? You know, he said, drawing away from her. Suddenly, she thought she'd done too much, pushed him too far, but the desperation to know inside her overrode that. I need to hear it. Spell it out for me, Julian. He went toward the door, took hold of the knob. For a moment she thought he was going to leave the room, and he swung the door of the small room closed, locked it, closing them inside, turned to her. His eyes were luminous in a dim light. I tried to stop, he said. That's why I went to England. I thought if I was away from you, maybe I'd stop feeling what I was feeling. But as soon as I got back, the first second that I saw you, I knew it hadn't made any difference. He looked around the room, his expression almost resigned. Why all these paintings of you? Because I'm an artist, Emma. These pictures are my heart, and if my heart was a canvas, every square inch of it would be painted over with you. Oh. Her gaze locked with his. You mean it, she said. You really mean it. I know I lied to you on the beach, but I swear on our parvati oaths I'm telling you the truth now. He spoke clearly, deliberately, as if he couldn't bear a single word he was telling her to be misunderstood or lost. I love everything about you, Emma. I love the way I can recognise your footsteps in the hallway outside my room, even when I didn't know you were coming. No one else walks or breathes or moves like you do. I love the way you gasp when you're asleep, like your dreams have surprised you. I love the way when we stand together in the beach our shadows blend into one person. I love the way you can write on my skin with your fingers and I can understand it better than I could understand someone else shouting in my ear. I don't want to love you like this. It's the worst idea in the world that I love you like this. But I can't stop. Believe me, I've tried. It was the pain in his voice that convinced her. It was the same pain that had beaten in her own heart for so long that she stopped knowing it for what it was. She let go of the counter. She took a step toward Julian, and then another one. Are you... are you in love with me? His smile was soft and sad. So much. A moment later, she was in his arms and kissing him. She couldn't have said how it happened exactly, just that it seemed inevitable. And that for all that Julian's voice had been quiet when he'd spoken, his mouth on hers was eager and his body was wanting and desperate. He clutched her to him, his lips tracing the outline of her mouth. Her hands were fierce in his hair. She'd always loved his hair, and now that she could touch it freely, she buried her hands in the thick waves, winding them around her fingers. His hands slid to the back of her thighs, and he lifted her up as if she weighed nothing. She locked her hands around his neck, clinging on as he held her against him with one arm. She was aware of him grabbing at the papers covering the counter, knocking them to the floor along with tubes of paint until he cleared a space where he could sit her down. She pulled him in, keeping her legs wrapped around his waist. There was nothing closed about him now, nothing diffident or remote or reticent as their kisses grew deeper, wilder, hotter. Tell me I didn't screw this up for forever, Julian gasped between kisses. I was such an ass on the beach, and when I saw you with Mark in your room... Emma slid her hands down to his shoulders, broad and strong under her grip. She felt drunk on kissing. This was what people fought wars over, she thought, and killed each other over, and destroyed their lives for, this nerve-shredding mixture of longing and pleasure. Nothing was happening. His hand stroked her hair. I know it's ridiculous, but when you had a crush on Mark, when you were 12, it was the first time I remember ever being jealous. It doesn't make any sense, I know that, but the things we're most frightened of, we can't make ourselves dismiss them. If you and Mark ever... I don't think I could come back from that. Something about the raw honesty in his voice touched her. Everyone has things they're afraid of, she whispered, moving closer into his arms. She slid her fingers under the hem of his shirt. It's part of being human. His eyes slipped half-closed, his fingers raked down through her hair, his hands caressed her back lightly, then found her waist pulling her harder into him. Her head fell back, almost banging into one of the cabinets, his lips burned in her collarbone. His skin was hot under her touch. She could understand suddenly why people talked about passion as fire. She felt as if they had caught a flame and were burning like the dry Malibu hills, about to become ashes that would mix together forever. "Tell me you love me, Emma," he said against her throat. Even if you don't mean it. She gasped. How could he think? How could he not realize? There was the sound of footsteps in the studio. Julian, Livy's voice echoed through the door. Hey, Jules, where are you? Emma and Julian ripped themselves away from each other in a panic. They were both dishevelled, their hair mussed, their lips kissed, swollen. Nor could Emma imagine how they'd explain why they'd locked themselves into Julian's private room. Jules! Livy was yelling now, good-naturedly. We're in the library and Ty sent me to get you. Livy paused, most likely looking around the room. Seriously, Julian, where are you? The knob of the door turned. Julian stood frozen. The knob jiggled again, the door rattling against its lock. Emma tensed. There was the sound of a sigh. The knob stopped jiggling. Footsteps moved away from them, and then the studio door bind closed. Emma looked at Julian. She felt as if her blood had frozen and then unthawed suddenly. It was pounding through her veins like a spring torrent. It's okay, she breathed. Julian caught her and hugged her fiercely, his bitten-nailed hands digging into her shoulders. He gripped her so tightly she could barely breathe. Then he let go. He did it as if he was forcing himself, as if he were starving and he was putting aside the last piece of food he had. But he did it. We'd better go, he said.
0: It's so much ridiculous wish fulfilment. I know, I know. (laughs) She really said, "I know what my readers want. Oh, exactly, and I'm going to give it to them. One thousand percent."
1: But yeah, I'll say, like, I love all the like romance and drama in the scene. But what I think is effective about it, in terms of Julian's character, is that moment at the end where he like rips himself away from her because he hears his sister Livy, and it's like all his walls are, or like stoicism, are going back up. And I also think the line where he says tell me you love me even if you don't mean it. it is just heart-wrenching and like even though he's admitted he's in love mm. he can't believe that she would feel the same oh no and like he won't let himself have that he could only allow this like love and passion in this tiny locked room
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: just so sad and lastly I just wanted to shout out that line about his heart being a canvas oh, oh that's a stunning line my you know lot line, line I thought was
0: stunning was the brutal gold mm. of the sea.
1: Yeah. Like, I've
0: never heard that phrase before. No, I brutal haven't. Brutal gold. Oh, yeah. so good.
1: So, yeah, like, he has lots of, like, funny moments, lots of, like, badass moments, like, that I could have picked out. But I just, I don't know, I just wanted to pick that one because I felt like he saw, like, the two sides of him mm. there. Like, the person he wants to be and the person he has to be. So, yeah, that that's it. An hour long quote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice one. Okay,
1: what is your favourite character?
0: So, my favourite character is from Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I loved this book. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to mention it. And I have an honourable mention favourite character, and it's also from this book. Mm -hmm. So, my honourable mention is Camilla. She is the wife of the lead guy in in the book. She's very like strong and very fiercely caring but also she's got so much patience and like compassion that there's bits of the book where you think Camila's really hard done to, why is she putting up with this? Mm. But it's like she's got this heart that's so big and she's got so much perspective that she's like she can tell when her husband's like dick moves are Not his true self. Yeah. And when they are, and when they are, she one hundred percent calls him out. She's like, "You can't be behaving like that." Mm -hmm. But when it's like not about her, and it's more about like demons in his head, she one hundred percent just sticks it out, which I think is very cool. Yeah. And also, she's good at manipulating all the all the guys. (laughs) She's really funny. But my final favorite character from this book that I fell in love with was Graham. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I love Graham. I
0: love... I He just stands out for me so much because... To to explain, this book is about a band that's kind of based on Fleetwood Mac and it's about the main girl, Daisy Jones, and the lead singer of the band, Billy, who is Camilla's husband, um, and their sort of artistic, emotional affair. But Graham is Billy's brother. He's a side character. And it's not a spoiler to say that he has a relationship with the drummer in the band, Karen. Because that happens pretty early on. And I just really like him. (laughs) He's just, he's very sincere, and he's like, quite laid back, but he's very serious in his, like, what he says. Mm. And he's a wee bit of a fuck-up, which I I just have a soft spot for. So all I've done is picked out a few of my favourite Graham moments to give an idea of his character. So this is when Graham and Karen first kind of sleep together and this is the lead up to that and the book is written like a script so I'm going to say the names and then say the lines that they say. Graham. I was waiting for Billy when my phone rang. Karen. I don't know why it was that day that I decided to do it. Graham. I said hi and Karen just said hi. Karen. We were sort of quiet on the phone for a second and then I said how come you've never made a move on me? I could hear him drinking a beer. I could hear him take a sip. He said, I don't take shots I know I'll miss. It was out of my mouth before I decided to say it. I said, I don't think you'll miss, Dunn. And then as soon as I said it, there was a dial tone. Graham, I have never run anywhere faster than down that hall to her room. (laughs) Karen, three seconds later, that's not an exaggeration. There's a knock at my door. I opened it and Graham was out of breath. A tiny run down the hall and he was out of breath. Graham. I looked right at her. She was so gorgeous. Those thick eyebrows. I'm a sucker for a girl with thick eyebrows. I said, what are you saying to me? Karen. I said, just go for it, Graham. Graham. I stepped right into her room. I shut the door behind me. I grabbed that woman and I kissed her good. You don't usually wake up in the morning and think this is going to be one of the most exciting days of my life. But that day was. That day with Karen, that was one of them. (laughs) <laughs> i just love that scene because i love the speed with which he just runs yeah down the hall
1: i know i love that. that book has so much like drama and angst in it but it's also so funny yeah like that like little moments like that where you're getting because because the way it's written you're getting like two or maybe more perspectives on the same thing all at like the one time mm-hmm it's just funny
0: <laughs> and then the next bit is so this is um Karen talking about Camilla and Billy um, and she's talking about love being someone who knows you really well so Karen says Camilla knew who Billy was better than he did a lot of women have said you've had your fun but we've got three kids now Camilla loved Billy exactly as he was I dug that about her so much and I really think Billy loved her the same way she loved him I really do When they were in the same place at the same time, you could tell he was just so taken with her. He'd stay quiet and let her be the one to talk. And I always noticed that he used to squeeze the lime into her drink before he handed it to her whenever we were all out somewhere. He'd take his own lime and squeeze it into her glass too. He'd squeeze the two wedges in and then throw them in with the ice. It seemed like a beautiful thing to have, somebody giving you their lime wedge. I mean, I hate lime actually, but you get the point. Graham. Karen hated all citrus because she said it felt sticky on her teeth. That's why she hated soda too. (laughs) And I love the idea that the interviewer is presenting like that story to Graham. Yeah. And Graham's response isn't anything about Billy and Camilla. Yeah. And he just says Karen "Karen hated all citrus. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's just so sweet. Um, I've got another couple that (laughs) I wanted to share. He's just so, like, also he's probably the person that speaks the least. Yeah, or he has quite short lines. He has short lines, but his stories are so off the wall (laughs) Mm -hmm. compared to everyone else's. This is later on in the book when there's a sort of dilemma about Daisy's place in the band. And Graham says about Billy, I just thought he was freaking out because he wasn't the star of the album anymore. I mean, I knew things between Billy and Daisy were dicey, but back then I thought music was just about music. But music is never about music. If it was, we'd be writing songs about guitars. But we don't. We write songs about women. Women will crush you, you know. I suppose everybody hurts everybody, but women always seem to get back up. You ever notice that? Women are always still standing. We love a man who drinks as respect women drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But also it's really sad because Graham gets kind of crushed. Mm. Then there's my my favorite Graham quote ever, and this is the one that like, I had to like put the book down when I was reading it because I was just like, "Oh, I love him," <laughs> and it's from when him and Karen are just like having their little interband affair, and no one really knows, and they like sneak off to like a cabin for a while. Mm. It's when they're not recording at one point, and he says. People say that life keeps moving, but they don't mention that it does stop sometimes, just for you, just for you and your girl. The world stops spinning and lets you two lie there. feels like it anyway, sometimes, if you're lucky, call me a romantic if you have to. worse things to be <laughs> yeah, I love that one, so yeah, those are my my favorite gray moments, and Aww. I just I just loved him. I just wish he was real. <laughs>
1: I don't know who's going to play him in the TV adaptation. I know. Sam Claflin's playing Billy, which I think will be quite good.
0: Yeah, that I can see that. Yeah. But I don't I know. I can't
1: remember if they've announced it or not.
0: And it's a, it's a change for me, because usually I like the sort of, like, the Billy characters. Mm. Like, I don't normally like the nice man. Yeah. Thing <laughs> things, but he's just such a cool nice man. <laughs> I also like that he's so straight up about, like... Yeah, I really fucking loved Karen. Yeah. Like this is how much I loved Karen. <laughs> like Oh. <Aww. laughs> so nice. <laughs> what was your favorite quote or passage from this year? Hey, okay. this is hard as well. This is so hard.
1: So, cuz I feel like pretty much every quote I pick for this podcast is like one I love. Yeah. So I I wanted to pick one that I hadn't read out before. And the one I've picked isn't, like, the most magical, the most beautiful, the most, like, inspirational. What I decided to pick is a passage that is just, like, stuck in my head Mm. since I read it. And one that I think was, like, a surprise to me when I was reading it. It's from The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue by Mm. V.E. Schwab, which I'm still absolutely in love with. I just want everyone to read this book, so can everyone just read it, please? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) the super quick summary of this book is that Adi is granted immortality her curse is that anyone who meets her will instantly forget her then one day after 300 years of basically being invisible she meets a man who remembers her and that's Man is Henry and there are so many very beautiful and, like, powerful quotes, I would say, in this book, but this one's quite different from those. I'm not going to give spoilers, but, like, for some context, Henry is a character with anxiety and depression, and this passage is actually from pretty much bang on halfway into the book, and it's the first look at his character internally, mm. rather than from Addie's perspective and i think i'll read it first
0: and then explain why i like it after i almost picked my favorite passage from this book too mm. it has so many good ones it has loads
1: a boy is born with a broken heart the doctors go in and piece it back together make it whole and the baby is sent home lucky to be alive they say he's better now that he can live a normal life and yet as he grows up he is convinced something is still wrong inside the blood pumps, the valves open and close, and on the scans and screens, everything functions as it should. But something isn't right. They've left his heart too open, forgotten to close back up the armour of his chest, and now he feels too much. Other people would call him sensitive, but it is more than that. The dial is broken, the volume turned all the way up. Moments of joy register as brief but ecstatic. Moments of pain stretch long and unbearably loud. When his first dog dies, Henry cries for a week. When his parents argue and he cannot bear the violence in their words, he runs away from home. It takes more than a day to bring him back. When David throws away his childhood bear, when his first girlfriend Abigail stands him up at the dance, when they have to dissect a pig in class, when he loses the card his grandfather gave him before he passed, when he finds Liz cheating on him during their senior trip, when robbie dumps him before junior year every time no matter how small or how big it feels like his heart is breaking again inside his chest henry is 14 the first time he steals a swig of his father's liquor just to turn the volume down he's 16 when he swipes two pills from his mother's cabinet just to dull the ache he is 20 when he gets so high that he thinks he can see the cracks along his skin the places where he's falling apart his heart has a draft it lets in light it lets in storms it lets in everything time moves so fucking fast blink and you're halfway through school paralyzed by the idea that whatever you choose to do it means choosing not to do a hundred other things so you change your major half a dozen times before finally ending up in theology and for a while it seems like the right path but that's really just a reflex to the pride in your parents faces because they assume they've got a budding rabbi but the truth is you have no desire to practice you see the holy text stories sweeping epics and the more you study the less you believe in any of it blink and you're 24 and you travel through europe thinking hoping that the change will spark something in you that a glimpse of the greater grander world will bring your own into focus and for a little while it does but there's no job no future only an interlude. And when it's over, your bank account is dry and you're not any closer to anything. Blink, and you're 26 and you're called into the dean's office because he can tell that your heart's not in it anymore. And he advises you to find another path and he assures you that you'll find your calling. And he advises you to find another path and he assures you that you'll find your calling. But that's the whole problem. You've never felt called to any one thing. There is no violent push in one direction, but a softer nudge a hundred different ways and now all of them feel out of reach. Blink and you're 28 and everyone else is now a mile down the road and you're still trying to find it and the irony is hardly lost in you that in wanting to live, to learn, to find yourself, you've gotten lost. Blink and you meet a girl.
0: Oh, that's so good! Oh, I love it so much!
1: I just remember when I read that I was just like in awe of how Schwab changed my expectations of the story Mm. because like up to that point the whole book's about Addy it's about like her past her immortality her meeting Henry and then like all of a sudden as I said it's like it's bang on halfway in the book we get Henry's perspective, and it's written in a different style. Like, yeah, it feels more like prose poetry, especially with those repetitions, of, like the blink in your twenty two, blink yeah. in your twenty six, and there's also just like line repetitions and the very short lines too. So I just love that there's like a textual contrast between the two characters, and I think that's why it stands out to me is because like it marks a change in the book.
0: Yeah, it's a total one eighty.
1: Yeah. And I talked in our episode on this book, which is episode 15, that I, like, related a lot to Henry. And this passage does kind of show that. Like, as I said then, I've never been in as dark a place as him. Um, I'm not an addict. (laughs) Um, But the idea of, like, not having a direct pull towards something Mm. or, like, wanting to do many things, but none of them super strongly, like, that is definitely something I felt. And, like have Never really been able to articulate before, and I think I definitely have more of a grip on it now. I'm obviously starting to go down paths now, but I do still question what I'm doing in my life a lot of the time, so it's nice to like see it written down 100%.
0: Um,
1: so yeah, like I love the entirety of this book, like, and even though this isn't even like
0: oh, it's weird because it's not a big
1: moment, but it is a big moment.
0: It's a big moment in the
1: storytelling,
0: but it's not necessarily a big moment in the story. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. But it's just one that stuck with me. I remember I, I was like, I'm going to probably do a quote from Ade because there's loads of beautiful quotes in it. And I was trying to think of like all the pretty ones. And I was just like, you know what? No, it it's
0: that one. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the one I always think of. It's um, funny because my one, I I couldn't pick it because I've already talked about trees too much, but it's 100% the bit about Estelle. <gasps> and the tree. like... She yeah. she was going to be a tree. Mm. There's a I can't remember the passage around it, but there is a line that says she was going to be a tree. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh. my soul has been seen. But yeah, I love that one. Love Henry
1: and his confusion. <laughs> Bless him. Is I know.
0: What is your favourite
1: passage or quote?
0: So I was kind of similar to you because obviously this is essentially what we do for infatuated. <laughs> like I don't think that I can pick a passage that's like meant the most to me over the year or like impressed me the most because that's what we've been doing all year. Yeah. Um, so I thought I'd just share one. It's a poem. Um, it's my only poetry entry <laughs> this episode that I found very, very comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read it a lot since I first read it, given that this year has probably been the year that we need some comfort. <laughs> so it's um, it's quite a short poem and it's from a book by Jeremy Radin called slow dance with sasquatch which i think is an excellent title (laughs) (laughs) and this poem is called the inn of the purple bison hello traveler welcome to the inn of the purple bison the bread is just now rising in the oven the tapers are lit they smell of nutmeg and orange peel the stew on the stove has been cooking all day long there is a man on the porch who plays piano We don't know where he came from. He brought the piano. We've all brought such heavy things to this place. We've all come here to rest from the carry. The chairs in the lobby are built from yarn. Hot chocolate moves through canals in the floor. The mattresses stuffed with the softest fog. A bloodhound sleeps by every fireplace. Their dreams projected on the bedroom walls. The blessing fields. The sky full of rabbits look how the road has etched your face spit its body into your hair we have found a blue petal that works like water come and lie in the cleansing lather what you have done out there is not our concern all that you have tangled and cut all that you have turned against all the wars you have made and loved all the wounds you have nursed and fed all that you have too easily killed all that you could not help but kill Start fresh, start here, Welcome to the inn of the Purple bison. We know what the night has done to you.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Isn't that amazing? Does that
1: have like a particular inspiration, or is it just like
0: I don't know the whole book is kind of like that. Yeah. it's all really like fantastical and like whimsical, but really dark. I love that. I feel like Aaron Morgenstern would like that <laughs> I just like obviously the whole the whole thing is great, but like. I love that he's mixed this like really comforting imagery of like the hot chocolate rivers and like bloodhound dreams on the walls and Mm -hmm. everything but like the bit that got me is like there's a man on the porch who plays piano we don't know where he came from he brought the piano yeah, I like that. I was
1: just like, oh. That's the line that actually made me think of Erin Morgenstern because she has a lot of like things where it's like, oh, there's a thing in this place. Mm-hmm. like It just appeared, no one knows where it's from. <laughs> like, it's
0: like, like, I, oh, I love that. And then, yeah, that last line, like, welcome to the end of the purple bison. We know what the night has done to you. Whoa. It just felt very prescient for 2020. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. this feels like the poem that people need to hear. <laughs> So yeah, I very much recommend that book. It's all like that. It's all that really nice mix of like magical and comforting and disturbing. I
1: feel like I do need to read
0: that. I feel like I find the odd poem, Mm -hmm. like I kind of collect them, (laughs)
1: like little random ones, but I feel like I might need to read that whole thing if that's what they're like,
0: Yeah, because I
1: very much liked that.
0: It reminded me of, um, oh god, that film, the Taika Waititi film that we watched. Hunt for the Wilder People. Yes, Hunt for the Wilder People. Like the weird tone of it. Yeah. Reminded me of that. So what was your favourite new-to-you author? This was tough because I feel like I discovered so many
1: amazing authors this year. But I was I was torn between three, who are Bridget Collins, Natalie Haynes and Madeline Miller. And I love all of them for different reasons, but I decided to go with Madeline Miller. So Miller has two novels out, The Song of Achilles and Circe, both of which I read this summer. And you can listen to me talk about them in our Myth and Folklore series, which is episodes 8, 9, and 10. And I like her for a lot of reasons. Like, I think she's just cool. She has a, her PhD in classics, which she teaches, she stages Shakespeare plays, she posts like informative content on her <laughs> Instagram, which is just, I like that. I feel smart when I'm on her Instagram. But I think what I love about her writing, I can narrow down to like kind of two main reasons. The first is that she picks characters to write about who are lesser known or underrepresented. Mm. Cersei's story is not really developed in Greek mythology, even though she is tied to so many stories. So Miller really gave her a space and gave her her own story. And with the Song of Achilles, obviously Achilles is a huge figure. But the story is told by Patroclus, so you're getting a perspective that you haven't seen before on Achilles. Yeah. So, yeah, I just love how she picks a more like unique perspective. And I think it's a great just writing technique as well, because she can bring her own ideas to develop those stories further. Mm. And the second thing I love is the writing itself, her prose is so beautiful. Like, I've honestly never read anything like it.
0: Neither have I. I was blown away. Yeah,
1: like, I love lyrical prose. You can probably tell that from the (laughs) books that I've already shared. But I just feel like she takes it to a whole other level. And the quote that I wanted to share, I did actually quote some of in our series. But I thought today I'd include, like, the bit that I left out as well. Mm. So this is from The Song of Achilles. And it's the aftermath of Patroclus and Achilles having had sex for the first time. Mm. Slowly, like duskfall, I became aware of my sweat, the dampness of the covers and the wetness that slid between our bellies. We separated, peeling away from each other, our faces puffy and half bruised from kisses. The cave smelled hot and sweet, like fruit beneath the sun. Our eyes met and we did not speak. Fear rose in me sudden and sharp. This was the moment of truest peril and I tensed fearing his regret. He said I did not think and stopped. There was nothing in the world I wanted more than to hear what he had not said. What? I asked him. If it is bad let it be over quickly. I did not think that we would ever. He was hesitating over every word and I could not blame him. I did not think so either. I said. Are you sorry? The words were quickly out of him, a single breath. I am not, I said, I am not either. There was silence then, and I did not care about the damp palette or how sweaty I was. His eyes were unwavering, green flecked with gold. A certainty rose in me, lodged in my throat. I will never leave him. It will be this, always, for as long as he will let me. If we had had the words to speak such a thing, I would have. But there were none that seemed big enough for it, to hold that swelling truth. As if he had heard me, he reached for my hand. I did not need to look. His fingers were etched into my memory, slender and petal-veined, strong and quick and never wrong. Patroclus, he said. He was always better with words than I. The next morning I awoke light-headed, my body woozy with warmth and ease. After the tenderness had come more passion, we had been slower then, and lingering, a dreamy night that stretched on and on. Now, watching him stir beside me, his hand resting on my stomach, damp and curled as a flower at dawn, I was nervous again. I remembered in a rush the things I had said and done, the noises I had made. I feared that the spell was broken, that the light that crept through the cave's entrance would turn it all to stone. But then he was awake, his lips forming a half sleepy greeting, and his hand was already reaching for mine. We lay there, like that, until the cave was bright with morning, and Chiron called. We ate, then ran to the river to wash. I savored the miracle of being able to watch him openly, to enjoy the play of dappled light on his limbs, the curving of his back as he dived beneath the water. Later we lay on the river bank, learning the lines of each other's bodies anew. This and this and this. We were like gods at the dawning of the world, and our joy was so bright we could see nothing else but the other.
0: It's so pretty.
1: Oh it just hurts my heart. <laughs> I know. Yeah, what I think I love about this, without trying to repeat myself from last time, is the way she places their story in the mythology but also grounds it in reality. Mm. So, like, it's very sensory and tactile. It makes it feel very real. But also you have very gorgeous lines that sound otherworldly that remind you that this is a story about a demigod. Yeah. Also, the line this and this and this is so simple, but honestly makes me choke up every (laughs) time I see it. And I, I don't even know why, but, like, that phrase is just very Achilles and Patroclus to me. Like, just those words. And, like, I just aspire to write a line (laughs) so simple and so beautiful that sums up, like, a character or a
0: relationship or Mm. whatever so succinctly. It's just, it's that, like, intimacy without any detail. Yeah. She doesn't tell you what this and this and this is. No. But the pacing of it is a touch.
1: Yeah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I just love her writing so much. I just feel like whatever she does, I'll love it. Like I'm, I'm going to read anything that she ever writes. Basically, we'll read your
0: shopping list like, <laughs> Yeah, come on.
1: But yeah, I'm, so, I'm so glad I discovered her this year. I thought, thought she was great, and yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I just really like it. <laughs> that's that's enough. <laughs> And what about you, your favourite new author that you discovered this year?
0: My favourite new author that I discovered this year was Lisa Cross-Smith and my friend Ray Annan, not Annan, but also (laughs) also a a friend of the podcast, Um, she posted me this book um, as a little surprise and I'm so happy that she did because I will now, I'm on a mission to read everything that this woman has ever written. So this book was the short story collection, So We Can Glow, and it's essentially, when I say short stories, they're short. Like, I think the longest ones are maybe ten pages. Mm. The shortest ones are one. There are ones that have no named characters, and it reads more like a prose poem to a you Mm. or an I. There are ones with full characters. There are ones with intertwining characters. That's cool. So yeah, it's it's a beautiful collection. It's very focused on like, oh, oh, there's a tiny shiny little bug on the page. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very focused on like femininity and like growing up and like female adolescence, but it's really playful and really fun. What I loved about her writing is that every sentence is like full to the brim with sound and imagery. It feels like I can't often remember what it felt like to be a kid. Mm. But when I read this I feel like I can remember my childhood imagination. Mm. Do you know what okay, I mean? Yeah. Where like everything's just a rush. Yeah. And that that's why I loved it. But I'll read a little bit to give you an idea. I actually picked a really short bit, but I might do two, seeing as your quotes have been <laughs> lovely and long. <laughs> This is from the story Out of the Strong, Something Sweet, and it's about three teenage girls who sneak out at night to go and see two of them have boyfriends and there's a third friend for the third friend. So we're getting it from the point of view of the third girl. I loved Claire. I loved her so much. I loved Hannah too. I felt blessed by them and blessed to know it. I was one thing when I was alone. I was another, better thing when the three of us were together. We were walking quick, but I still prayed, all lit up under the streetlight, that we'd be friends forever. I was thinking amen when I heard Hannah's boyfriend pssst us in the darkness. Ah pssst men, we'd hung out so much I even recognised as pssst. Baby girl, Claire's boyfriend said. I saw him reach for Claire when we were in the light. I heard the chain fence rattle next to me. Milo's black hair, full moon white skin. Hannah had already smashed herself into her boyfriend's arms. Hey, Milo said. Where are you from? Hannah asked him immediately. Spearfish, South Dakota, he said. Who's from South Dakota? Hannah asked, laughing. Me, he said plainly. I decided I was in love with him. (laughs) He cupped his hand and lit his cigarette. His hair twitched across his face. I begged for mercy. He whipped his head back to adjust it. Mercy denied. I decided I would die for him, slip my neck and bleed out on top of him, soak him like some Shakespearean tragedy. You know, if he wanted to, me to. Like, for love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Like, it's so bubbly. <laughs> the voices are so strong. I'll try and find... Oh, okay, so this is this is another bit that I love. This was, my like, my runner-up for what I was going to read out and this is like a little bit more of a chilling story about a girl who has this obsession with a baseball player and she's like the cleaner in the baseball ground oh. and she kind of like she like snoops in his locker and she like stalks all his stuff um, and she has all these rituals based on what happens in the games that he wins Okay. and things like that so this this is a bit of her narration. I keep checking my pocket for the piece of paper and wow I'm hoping it's something good because my back and arms are so sore from cleaning and I can feel that hot hot bathwater already. He didn't get a home run tonight so I won't get off. During the regular seasons I only get off on the days he hits a home run. On the days he hits a home run during playoffs I do it twice. No getting off tonight. Just the piece of paper with my wine and my bath and one cigarette too. On the regular season nights Felix doesn't hit a home run. I allow myself to have one pink Nat Sherman cigarette. I like to smoke that cigarette in the bathtub with my wine, and I'm usually listening to some beautiful woman who has already gone to the great beyond sing about how much she loved somebody or how lonely she is, like Bessie Smith or Big Mama Thornton or Coco Taylor or Billie Holiday. I've already decided on Billie Holiday for tonight, for the piece of paper. I light my candles. I love the tiny jump of a tea light. Obsessing over Felix Phoenix is my engine, my fireplace, and baseball is leaving us in October. It will be getting cold soon, and I'll curl up in front of that obsession fireplace and feel it warm on my face, the glow. <laughs> Felix Phoenix, what a name! I know, <laughs> I love that. And it's all like that. It's all got like these like really cool names. Yeah. There's like all these characters, like there's baseball players, and there's cowboys, and there's like. <laughs> drug addict musicians there's like this whole cast there's an actor and a and a cello player that are together <laughs> chef and a a chef and a guy that she meets in the in the supermarket like <laughs> there are just so many good little moments and voices that's funny i've never heard so many distinct voices in one short story collection like it's very condensed but none of them sound the same mm. And consistently, all the language she uses is like bubbly and poetic and really sensory, the same mm. way. Not obviously as poetic as <laughs> Madeline Miller, not as lyrical, shall I say, as Madeline Miller, but it's sensory in that same way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just a joyful, joyful collection. <laughs> what was your favourite album that you heard in 2020? This was also hard. I'm just going to say that at the start of
1: every one. Because I just feel like I found loads of great music this year. Lots of bands that I love came out with albums towards the end of 2019. So Mm -hmm. I was listening to to those a lot. But I thought I'd go for an album that did come out this year and I'm still, like, utterly obsessed with. And that is Calm by Five Seconds of Summer. Yes, Which came out in March. Fun fact about the album name. That's the initials of all the band members. C A L M.
0: I had never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> so it is.
1: Yep. So this album was my introduction to the band. And so this and Young Bloods, which is their previous album, are my favourites. Although I kind of gathered that like long time Five Sauce fans really like the first two. Those are definitely more like pop punk. Mm. Uh, While well, the most recent two are definitely say are more rock, or at least like alt rock. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think Cam is like. It's their most eclectic album. No one song sounds the same, but altogether it's, like, cohesive mm. somehow. And in general, I love songs that have, like, interesting drums and bass lines, and this album is full of them. And I think, like, I, I don't know them that great, but from, like, what I can tell, I think they really let themselves experiment and write songs that they love, like, rather than trying to make an
0: album mm-hmm. fit like a certain yeah rather than making a concept and writing songs to that yeah
1: so i don't think there's like a dud song on it i'm kind of struggling to pick a favorite but i like looked through my spotify and i think my most played ones off it are wildflower easier and not in the same way Mm. uh all very different songs yeah they are very good i Um, do like
0: wildflower yeah, I'm not a huge Five Sauce fan but I do like Wildflower mm-hmm. a lot
1: also just like for sentimental reasons it's my sister who like introduced me to it when we were in lockdown at my parents house and I know she like she's loved them for years so she's enjoying having someone else that <laughs> actually like knows who they are and yeah I just think they're cool, their fashion sense is great, they seem to have like good heads on their shoulders <laughs> and I think it's great to see like Guys who are the same age as me, like just killing it and making cool stuff. Yeah, and I'm just a big fan of them. And yeah, I think that album's great. Like, I I really. It's weird because I I sort of go between listening to full albums or listening to like random songs, but I would, like I would recommend listening to this full album like in order. Just I don't know, the way they've ordered it is very interesting. But I don't think I can explain that without like playing all the music. Mm. But yeah.
0: I Hi- highly recommend Calm. Nice. <laughs> it is, I will say, like, Emily plays a lot of five-sauce around the flat, and I'm not, like, I I don't mind it, but yeah. it's not something that I'd pick up and play, but Calm is the one that I find myself, like, singing along to. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of retro as well, I think. Yeah, so, it's but... got
0: big vintage vibes.
1: yeah. So what was your favourite album? I feel like there's a couple contenders <laughs> <I'm>, there. <laughs> I, I, I've got a three-way tie
0: because I literally can't pick. Like, I can't, I can't do it. So obviously go it. I've got Folklore and Evermore by Taylor Swift yeah. because two Taylor Swift albums in one year has never happened before. <laughs> My heart doesn't know how to take it. They are sister albums, so I feel like they count as one. Okay. I've already done a full three-part series on Folklore, so I'm not even going to justify why that's my favourite. Mm. Evermore, I will just try and keep it brief and say it is the perfect follow-up and complement to Folklore, and I found it a very inspiring album because I can't relate to a lot of it, but the emotions are conveyed with such like compassion that I can... I can empathise, even though I've never been through half Mm. of these mental stories that are on it. And it is also much more imaginative and playful and whimsical in its storytelling than a lot of her confessional stuff. So I'm loving that. Mm -hmm. Also, it sounds really wintry, which is nice. And then my third one is Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. Mm. I didn't really know about Phoebe Bridgers until this year. And I love, I've gone back and listened to her first album, Strangers in the Alps which I really liked, but I wouldn't say that I loved every song on Strangers in the Alps, whereas Punisher I can put on and play it all the way through. And it just it is so sad. <laughs> it is the saddest collection of music that I've experienced in my life, and I love it for that. <laughs> so I guess are we picking top tracks? Okay, we'll go I, I just did some mentions. But... Yeah, I guess I'll go um folklore, my favourites are Mirrorball and Peace. Evermore, my current favourites, it's only been out a week, are Cowboy Like Me and probably Willow, which is the single, and Punisher, it's Moonsong. It's Moonsong all the way. Mm. So I would 100% recommend those. You've no idea how much restraint I just (laughs) exercised. I I can believe
1: it. I think we can expect an Evermore episode (laughs) at some point in the future. maybe. Maybe. Maybe.
0: We'll see. I don't want to sicken the list. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite film that you saw this year? Oh, were we meant to do film and TV? Or or TV, sorry. Film or TV. Okay. I assumed
1: yours would be a film. Yes, um, it is a film. Okay. Yeah. So I, I actually didn't watch a lot of film or TV this year, which isn't very like me. Mm. But I was really trying to use my spare time on reading and like other hobbies like I made a conscious effort to not watch as much stuff like I started learning embroidery this year and like I tried going back to like my arty roots and was doing like more drawing and stuff as well I don't think I realized until this year how much I enjoy going to the cinema and obviously I haven't been able to do that this year so I think I kind of just took a step back from film because I wasn't getting the whole experience of going to see it on the big screen how I wanted.
0: Mm.
1: So I was like, it's fine, I'll just entertain myself (laughs) in other ways. But I did think back to films that I watched in the cinema this year, before March, and two stood out. I was going to kind of do one as an honourable mention and then focus on the other, but I couldn't. (laughs) So I'm just going to cheat and have two. Go for it. So the first is 1917. Oh, good I saw, I saw this in January and was just blown away. Like, it's filmed, so it looks like one continuous shot, so you're never breaking away from the main character. You're so immersed in his story, which is terrifying because it's a war film. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing some horrific stuff. And just as well as the, like, technical side of it, I thought the acting was incredible too. I also loved how... They cast relatively unknown actors as the two main characters, but all the bit part characters were actually played by very famous people. Yeah, And I think it's like a great like cinema twist. And I don't know if it was the intention, but the way I saw it was that Sam Mendes, who's the director, was kind of saying, like, we've seen their story before, we've seen Colin Firth in a war film, we've seen Benedict Cumberbatch in a war film. But this film is about these two young men. And yeah. It's their story that's the important one today.
0: That's um, so cool. I've never thought of that.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's the intention, but that's how I saw it. And I'm sure even if you've not seen the film, you've seen the shot of it's a bunch of soldiers running to the left of the screen while George Mackay's character runs straight towards the camera. That scene is incredible. Like, it must have been so hard to shoot, <laughs> I remember thinking, that. like, when I was watching it. But it made me cry. And I think it will be a very, like, iconic film moment in history.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: I think it was so worth, like, all the effort that they clearly put into this film. And, yeah, I love it. It's worth a watch.
0: I Can I just say, that film, I'm really bad with like, intense visuals in a Mm. film, I really struggle with that because, I don't know, like, I don't think of myself as being, like, a hypersensitive person, but something about that, like, sensory immersion, like, I get really freaked out with it. And so I was quite nervous to watch 1917. But the thing that they did that is absolutely genius is that they will push you to your, like, immersion breaking point, but they never push you further. Yeah. So you'll get, like, loads of time where you're in, like, trenches and, like, dark and, like, labyrinthine fast movement. And then it will, just when you think you can't take any more, it will open out into, like, light or a field or a sky. Yeah. And it's, like, palpable relief. Yeah. And obviously that helps you to relate to the characters, but it also just, like, I love whoever's edited that because they've obviously made a choice with that effect, Mm -hmm. but they never, like, milk it. Yeah it's so good
1: yeah no i loved it my second favorite is another film i saw in the cinema in january and it is jojo rabbit i love taika waititi's films i think they get better each one he does so jojo rabbit is probably my favorite of his this is a dark comedy about a german boy who's part of the hitler youth group and he wants to be a nazi when he grows up and his imaginary friend is hitler and hitler is played by taika who is a polynesian jew um, so <laughs> he plays him like a petulant child it's great and the plot is about jojo finding out that his mother has been hiding a jewish girl in their house and the journey that he has like accepting that he's putting his adoration on the the wrong person or ideals yeah um and I, d- I do just want to quickly say, like, I do have issues with Scarlett Johansson taking roles that she clearly shouldn't play. Um, she's definitely whitewashed characters, and so I'm not the biggest fan of her career. However, I think she's outstanding in her role as Jojo's mother. Like, I think it's my favourite role of hers that definitely. I've ever seen her in. Most of my favourite scenes of this film are between her and Jojo, so I just kind of wanted to note, although I don't agree with a lot of her role choices. I thought she was great in this. But yeah, it's it's a super funny film, which it doesn't sound like it would be, but it is. It's also full of loads of heart, uh, which is what stops it from feeling like a joke.
0: It will also break your heart. It's a mix of things, <laughs> as with every yeah. Taika Waititi film. Anyone that's seen it knows that one scene mm-hmm. that just stops you in your tracks. Yeah yeah every character is so well thought out i thought
1: i particularly loved sam rockwell as a nazi officer <laughs> and the the music's fantastic as well like i really liked the german version of heroes by <laughs> david bowie it's so good and yeah that's my second favorite film i saw this year
0: very good choices <laughs> what about you did you go for a film or tv i went for a film as well mm-hmm. um because this film I okay so this film technically came out last year but I saw it this year. Yeah. Um back in January and it has immediately won like a top 3 place in my heart and it is Little Women. Mm. It is Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to be sick of it. <laughs> I hadn't like horrible confession from an English student but I hadn't read Little Women before I saw it. I knew the plot. I went to see it and I'm just I think I then read the book, and I like the film better. Mm. <laughs> controversial statement. I don't think that is controversial. I think a lot of people feel like that as well. I just think that the the visual tone of the film, like all the colours, is they're so warm. It's colour coded so well. The way that the characters all have their own specific like tones. Mm-hmm. I think that Saoirse Ronan as Joe is like my hero and my inner demon. <laughs> um, her monologue about women makes me cry. Um, Florence Pugh's monologue about marriage makes me oh, rage. <laughs> I love that it's scene. It's so good. The scene where sh- um, Joe and Laurie, Timothy Chalamet, are dancing Yes. gives me so much joy. And I think my ultimate favourite scene, because so. Me and you both like cried multiple times in the cinema seeing yeah. <laughs> it, but and I don't normally cry in the cinema. I'll cry at home, but I don't yeah. cry in the cinema. So like that was a lot for me. But so I had kind of recovered from a lot of that, and then the bit where the dad comes home. I knew for you Christmas, were going to say that. Yeah. Like it just immediately, It's like spontaneous tears happened to me. I had no inclination that I was going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened to me. It's so joyful. And so sad. And it says so much about writing and storytelling and feminism. Oh, I fucking love it. Yeah. It's so good.
1: It's so good. It's that, so good. that was a contender for mine. Also, Knives Out, oh. which
0: I feel like was maybe 2019, but I saw it this year. I think I um, saw it on Christmas Eve last year. And it was, it was excellent. Yeah. Oh. That was a good run at the cinema for those couple of months before yeah. the shit hit the fan, you know? It was, it was. And speaking of films, yes. what is your favourite Christmas
1: film? So, for years, my answer is always Love Actually, Mm. because it is is just the best. It's, like, funny and sad and heartwarming. And and it has Hugh Grant and Colin Firth in it. Oh, obviously. And, like, the swell of the music in the airport scene (laughs) always makes me well up. Like, that's what gets me, because I'm just, like, so happy that he's, like, running to meet this girl (laughs) in the airport. But I thought I'd go down the more, like, nostalgia route today and mention A Muppet's Christmas Carol. You do love A Muppet's Christmas Carol. I do. My dad watches this every Christmas Eve, and it is like one of my favourite traditions, because it means I get to watch it too. And it's also the most accurate portrayal of A Christmas Carol I've ever seen, which is kind of bonkers, because it literally has Muppets in it. (laughs) No, but they get the story so right. (laughs) They do. If you somehow haven't seen it, you need to watch it. There are lines plucked straight out of like Dickens's book, which is, is probably why I like it so much. The songs are wonderful. You get to see Michael Caine like singing and dancing with Muppets. <laughs> it's so just, ridiculous. It's just like the ultimate
0: comfort movie. It's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> I can also endorse this because I don't even like the Muppets as a franchise. Like. I, um, I don't particularly I actively disliked the Muppets for most of my childhood, yeah, but that film slaps.
1: yeah, what's your favorite Christmas film?
0: Well, I too was gonna go with love actually because it is the best, yeah. and the scene where Alan Rickman cheats on Emma Thompson and then he gives her the c d and then she goes in the bedroom and collects herself is the ultimate like epitome of female strength, yeah um and I love that, however, what I ended up going with was. Edward Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. Which I make you watch every year. Yeah. Well, don't really have to make. Well, you don't make me. I, I would watch that. <laughs> you would watch Yeah, it anyway, yeah but I love it. I love everything about it. I love the weird color palette again. I love Johnny Depp as Edward. I love Winona. Winona forever. Just <laughs> the scene where she's dancing in the snow mm. breaks my heart. Yeah, it's so good. And I like that it's, like, a Christmas film, but there's not, like, Hallmark vibes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, Christmas is just kind of, like, there. It's the backdrop yeah. for this
0: strange tale. Yeah. But I feel like it really does have a lot of, like, Christmas spirit in it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It has, like, yeah. a lot of, like, love love the people you're with and, yeah. like, don't, don't ostracise the weird guy just because he has scissors for hands. It's not his fault.
1: <laughs> I absolutely adore that there's just like this suburb that's like all colourful houses, and then there's just this massive hill with the a the massive castle. gothic castle on it that he's just in. Like, it's, I aww, also love, I love the it. idea
0: that he was up there for so long, and no one just thought to to go and to check. Go. On yeah. on like, and it's the Avon Lady that finds him. <laughs> Everything about it is perfect. It's So yeah, good. I love it. Also, like, the fact that they spend time developing Edward's character where he, like, cuts people's hedges into art and then, like, (laughs) gives people mental haircuts that they help to find their self-expression. Yeah. It's just so good. I know. And then he cuts all the ice sculptures, and it snows. I know. Oh, Do you so know what bit then. used to really like make me sad when I was little? You know, like when you're little and your feelings are too big, and you don't understand why <laughs> you can't watch something. Yeah. I couldn't ever watch the bit where he's like, where he cuts his own face mm. by mistake. Because yeah. he gets all freaked out. Yeah. It used to just like I find it. I found it so distressing. Yeah. Because I was like, how does he live? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. I love it. Uh, and finally, on our Christmas faves, mm. what's your favourite Christmas song? So I
1: want to preface my answer by saying that I love all the classic Christmas songs. Yeah, I have many favourites, but I thought I will give you something you've maybe not heard before. Ah. Because what I also love is pop-punk Christmas songs. Yes. <laughs> A niche we didn't know we needed, but we love it all the same. Or I do. My pop-punk Christmas song recommendation is by All Time Low, and it's called Merry Christmas, Kiss My Ass. Love it. It's sort of like Last Christmas, but with swearing. I'm so here for it, because I (laughs) love Last Christmas. So, my favourite lyric is, (laughs) it's so funny, I gave you my heart and you ripped it apart like the wrapping paper trash.
0: Oh, Oh, the agony.
1: (laughs) it's so good though it's like it's funny it's obviously a piss take like yeah. they they've done it as a joke it's just very funny and i thought i'd give you a song that you maybe didn't know maybe not one for your like family friendly christmas playlist um but it is worth a listen because if you can't yell along to a christmas song
0: then what's the point hashtag fairy tale of new york <laughs>
1: What song did you go for?
0: Oh, I couldn't pick because I was the same. I started thinking of ones that people might not know. Yeah. So obviously I'm the same. I love all the the classic bangers. I love your Last Christmas. I love your Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah. You know, all of that. I actually also really love Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire oh, for like you? wholesome vibes. I don't. Know. I, I
1: don't care for
0: that one. I don't know what like even let's like Frank Sinatra sings it. I'm yeah, just well, like. Yeah, oh. but... but he could sing anything, and I would. Yeah. Like it. Anyway. But the one that I picked originally was Phoebe Bridgers just released a Christmas EP and she's done a version of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that song makes me quite emotional anyway because I think it's sad even though it's meant to be happy. Yeah. But her version is specifically for 2020 and there is a verse that says, let me find the actual, someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. <laughs> so have yourself a merry little Christmas. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Phoebe, did you have to go that hard for 2020? <laughs> but it's actually really beautiful. So yeah. if you're having like, if you're having a weird Christmas and you're feeling sad, that's a good little one to cry to. If you're having a not sad Christmas, Christmas Tree Farm by Taylor Swift. <laughs> Fucking bangs! It's just so happy and saccharine. It's way too sweet. Yeah. It's about the fact that she grew up literally on a Christmas tree farm, and taking your like love of your life back to the Christmas tree farm where you grew up. That is very cute. It's cute as fuck. I love it. <laughs> Got some very different genres
1: going on there for your Christmas playlist. I I, yeah, well, I, I like I like <laughs>
0: both sides of Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to skip our writing chat for this Christmas special. Because we have hit two
1: two hours on the recording, so... (laughs)
0: Um, But do you have a rant for us? I do have a rant. (laughs) Right, listen, buckle up, because I've got something very important to share with the group. Stop washing your dishes, or whatever it is you're doing, and tune in. (sighs) Speaking of Christmas songs, right, I did a stupid thing, and I went on Twitter... That was the full stupid thing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I have one thing to say to Twitter. Baby, it's cold outside. Oh, I know what you're going to say. It's not a creepy song! Yeah. In fact, people saying that this is a creepy song is everything that is wrong with modern discourse, and here is why. So for anyone who doesn't know, this song has been debated in recent years because some people read the lyrics as sexist and even sexually predatory, promoting date rape. Specifically the line, say what's in this drink, which is always sung by the female part, gets a lot of scrutiny. But we're going to take an academic view of this shit right now. This song was written in 1944. 1944. Do we think that people, (coughs) women, wanted sex any less in 1944 just because all the photos were in black and white? No. No. So your first point, desire, was just as high then as it is now. But you couldn't just say that in 1944. You couldn't release WAP in 1944, (laughs) right? So because of the social mores mores of the time, we're going to talk about, like, they're all, like, propriety... People didn't get it on outside of marriage, obviously. Mm. So if you were going to spend time unsupervised with your sweet, sweet, sweetheart, it was going to be outside in broad daylight where the public at large would ensure that you were kept appropriate. No real good to anyone that's got impure motives. However, winter visit runs long. You go over to take your Christmas presents and then a blizzard starts out the window, what is a girl to do? That's the premise of Baby, it's cold outside. But there's more. This show of propriety ran even deeper than just like couples against the world. It was so deeply embedded in your upbringing, especially for girls, that you couldn't even really let the person that you were trying to sleep with know that you were trying to sleep with them because that would have been improper. So everything has to be coded or coy and words are chosen very carefully and loaded with meaning so that they could be passed off as innocent or ignored without any like injury to pride or decency. So it was the role of the woman to be resistant, to verbalize every possible thing that a decent woman would verbalize so that the man can explain them all away and give her a foolproof excuse to stay. So that's why she's given it, my mother will start to worry, my father will be pacing the floor and all the way through he's like, baby you'll freeze out there, it's up to your knees out there. All the way through this debate, He's taking off her hat and pouring her a drink and offering her a cigarette and she's taking them because she's got no intention of leaving. She just needs to, and I quote, say that she's tried for the sake of what he might think of her and then for what others might say. The song is an in-joke. It's critiquing, performative bullshit that people had to go through to talk themselves into a night together because the reason they settle on, the only part of the song that they harmonise on at the end is baby, it's cold outside, which is the first reason he gives her to stay. She was always going to. Don't get me wrong. Today, that same conversation would be creepy. But that's only because some of us are in a more privileged position, thanks to the feminist movement, where women aren't demonised for spending the night with someone. So in 2020, if you're saying no, 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 sir, and he's saying, mind if I move in closer, that's a big red flag. But see the next time I see someone being woke on Twitter dissecting the insidious hidden meaning of this song, I'm cutting ditches. <laughs> it's not creepy because it's not literal. It's a joke and it's a clever one. Twitter, take notes on that. Was it not also a thing that people said? They said, to "Say what's it's in, in this drink?" Like that was just a, like it means it's a strong drink. Yeah, like it That's doesn't not... mean you're being roofied. Yeah, <laughs> like. it just it's her being like. See what's in this drink as in like i'm not gonna be able to drive after this what's yeah. in this like yeah you know like oh i wholeheartedly agree with you so i feel like most of our listeners because you're smart people would have known that but for anyone that didn't i hope that you don't feel the need to be arsy about this song anymore <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> do you have an insight for us
1: I did. So I was trying to find a Christmas-themed insight this week, but I, I couldn't. So we have an insight about something else on my mind recently, and that is dark academia. Ooh! Which I feel is also still quite, like, wintry.
0: Yeah, we get a lot of... Plus it's, like, difficult to have an insight on, like, a religious holiday yeah, when exactly. your insights are all mystic. Yep. So I found a quiz to find out which dark academia
1: character are you. Amazing. Uh, I've already taken it. Naturally. And I'm, I'm going to have you take it. Okay. There's ten questions. Question one. You throw open the linen curtains and the window is streaked with rain. How will you spend this gloomy morning? <laughs> one. Fleeing into the misty woods nestled behind the main campus, you won't be seen for quite a few hours. Two. Taking a long contemplative stroll, patting local dogs en route. Uh, three. Three. Inviting a few trusted friends over for olives cheese and rich dark wine four. Journaling your thoughts and reading poetry beneath the blanket of clouds five. Flipping through well worn books, annotating at your leisure with dark coffee in hand.
0: Oh I'm torn between the dogs, the wine and the cheese and the poetry. <laughs> oh I mean realistically if it's if it's gloomy outside I ain't going outside. Mm. And if it's morning i ain't i ain't doing wine and cheese so i'll go with the poetry question two it is now midday you
1: enter the dim lecture hall and glance at the oaken desks before you where do you sit one front row hands clasped in an earnest expression of enthusiasm two near the back where the lights flicker thoughtfully thumbing the etchings on the desk three the third row beside a studious tweed clad friend of yours Or four, somewhere in the middle, close to the door, for fresh air and an easy escape route.
0: This is interesting, because I've been most of these students. (laughs) Yeah. I think at school I was definitely your front row gal. Mm. And then when I did physics, I was definitely your back with the flickering lights gal. I'd say now I'm I'm third row with a friend. The lecturer begins to speak, and with that cold sweat
1: of dread, you realise that you have stumbled into the wrong room. Which class have you happened upon? So which class do you not want to be in? Right. 1. Theology. 2. Game theory mathematics. 3. Linguistics. 4. Creative
0: writing. I'm torn between theology and game theory. I don't know what scares me more, religion or maths. (laughs) Probably maths. Okay. 4. As
1: you exit from this whirlwind of a lecture, you feel a new weight in your left pocket. Confused, you draw a small object from it. Someone must have slipped it in and fled. What is it? Ooh! <laughs> the questions are so good! Okay, one, a perfectly flat stone, ideal for skipping on burbling brooks. Two, an unlabeled vial of what looks like perfume, its musky sweetness already noticeable. Three, a well worn note with a handwritten poem on it, stamped with a strange wax seal. Four, a tiny crushed bouquet of thistle flowers and larch twigs tied with twine. Or five,
0: Three tarot cards and a sprig of rosemary in a cream-coloured envelope. I mean, what I want it to be is three with the poem and the stamp, because that's cool. Mm. But I do like a good rock, (laughs) and I feel like people know that about me. (laughs) So I'm going to say it's a stone for skipping. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I have like this little collection of stones on my lamp in my room that are ones that I've picked up at the beach being like that's a nice rock or ones that my friends have picked up at the beach and given me being like here's a nice rock for you. Okay
1: question five. You return to your dorm and find your door unlocked. As you slip inside warily you notice someone standing beside your bookshelf. Who is it? Mm. One. One. A slight man with sloped shoulders and flax-coloured hair he thumbs the spine of the odyssey oblivious of your presence two a childhood friend you've not seen in eight years clutching your copy of oliver twist you feel your cheeks flush with pleasant surprise three your peculiar roommate a dark-haired girl who scarcely speaks she gives you a disapproving glance Or, a young child who's either prodigious or completely lost, his eyes well with frightened tears.
0: Oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> I mean, the obvious choice here would be the roommate, because <laughs> you are a dark-haired roommate who really speaks. But no, I'm going to go with the childhood friend, because I actually have a childhood friend who's obsessed with Oliver Twist. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, <laughs> question six.
1: You blink thrice and the figure is gone. Ooh. The musty lecture hall air must have clouded your mind. You shake it off and slink onto your couch to watch a film. Which do you pick? Okay. 1. Romeo and Juliet, 1968. Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey provide such a tender image of young foolish love. Blade Runner, 1982. The science fiction masterpiece is heartbreakingly beautiful and intelligent. 3. 3. <laughs> you can you'll know why I picked this one. Donnie Darko, <laughs> two thousand one. A dash of quantum entanglement and disrupted timelines is just what you need at the moment. four. The talented Mr. Ripley, nineteen ninety nine. A psychopathic descent into madness with plenty of well crafted immorality. Let's begin. Or five, Running on Empty, nineteen seventy seven. You want something to bring melancholy tears to your eyes. Besides it's about time for your regular dose of piano playing River Phoenix.
0: I've actually not seen all of these or many of them, but from those descriptions Yeah I'd pick the description. I'm gonna go with running on empty. I like a good bit of melancholy. Question seven The film has finished
1: and you are itching to create something anything. You decide to open a notebook and write what are you working on? One, the opening of a vivacious fantasy tale. Two, a collection of ethereal poetry. Three, a short story set in the 1920s. Or four, an extended epic poem, Hellenic in Tone. Mm, ethereal poetry. Question eight. You pause mid-story to grab a bite to eat. What was the last sentence you wrote? <laughs> One, wreathed in fragrant laurel, the emperor reclined, mumbling his affirmation carelessly. Two, The lichen continued to grow, a vicious, ever-expanding entity massed in pale green obscurity. Three. The tears welled before overflowing, warm rivulets of salt running clean paths down his dust-covered cheeks. Four. Well, I'll leave you to it, murmurs Mael, his lips forming a quiet smirk as he turns to the door. Five. His hands found hers and the two smiled as the years of separation were closed in that one moment of perfect contact. Or six, the child laughed, a clear silvery laugh and she knew that there was nothing she would not sacrifice to preserve that happiness.
0: No one about the lichen. Also, I think I called that lichen earlier and I always do that in my head and I do know that it's lichen. But, oh, right, okay. <laughs> but I think in my quote that I read out, I called it lichen.
1: <laughs> Question nine you start to prepare dinner by candlelight what are you making one a lovely winter soup of lentils and sweet. two two slices of toast with fresh ricotta served with a few cherry tomatoes three roasted parsnip potato and pumpkin four spaghetti with forest harvested mushrooms and dark spinach or five Elegant slices of pickled beetroot sandwiching goat cheese and walnuts.
0: Spaghetti with mushrooms and spinach. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds dope.
1: (laughs) As you eat your dinner, you twirl the fork between the thumb and forefinger, deep in contemplation. Your thoughts turn introspective and you wonder, what are you afraid of? Ooh. One, living a bland, purposeless life. Two, never finding someone to grow old with, someone with whom you can cherish life three, being seen as unintelligent or ordinary, four, never creating anything of quality, five, becoming too close to a person, falling prey to romantic frivolities, or six,
0: betraying your own sense of morality and justice. Cue the existential crisis. <laughs> I know. am <laughs> between the justice and the bland life. Mm. I think I like to believe I'm the person that would be most afraid of betraying my own sense of justice, but I'm probably quite a bit of a pussy there, so I'll go with Bland and Purposeless Life. Okay. We got the same person! Really?
1: Which is weird, because a lot of our answers were not the same. But okay, so this is the answer for both of us then. We got Todd Anderson from Dead Poet Society.
0: Interesting. A quiet,
1: anxious young poet with bottled up emotions and images of a sweaty-toothed madman circling his mind.
0: I love that. (laughs) I don't feel like I related a lot to him in the film, but... See, I I think I did, but I don't know if I would have said that for you. It's probably all just the poetry answers that that put me there.
1: Maybe. I didn't have any poetry answers, though. Mm. Interesting. Interesting indeed. okay so i have the question for this week but we're actually going to do three because i thought you know christmas treat and Mm -hmm. all two are christmas themed one is not but it snuck its way in oh also i forgot to write down who sent these in so i'm really sorry but i don't have your names merry christmas (laughs) Um... everyone thank you question one what is your favorite element of christmas dinner I will throw this out to just say Christmas food in general because I know that you don't like Christmas dinner. Yeah, I don't so. really like
0: Christmas dinner.
1: For me, it's either pigs and blankets or roast potatoes, but roast potatoes aren't specifically Christmas, so maybe pigs and blankets.
0: I like... Yeah, mine isn't specifically Christmas because I like your log, but that's just chocolate cake. But it only looks like a log at Christmas. True. I, <laughs> I enjoy all the other, like, the non-dinner bits. So, like, in our house... We have homemade soup at Christmas. Yeah. I love that, and we have cheese and crackers, and you can have that anytime, but it's better at Christmas. Yeah, and we get like a joint of ham, and we put that with the cheese and crackers. I don't like ham. I do, and it's really good, <laughs> like a honey roast ham. So yeah, I don't. I like the. I like the picky bits. Yeah, more, I also I like the Boxing Day meal more. I like Mm. the Boxing Day leftovers. See, we don't, yeah, we've just kind of abandoned doing a a Christmas dinner because no one in my house really likes it. But Mm. yeah, like when when my grandparents used to do like a big Christmas dinner, the Boxing Day was always better. Because
1: basically I I don't like turkey, so I eat (laughs) like a slither of turkey and then all the other stuff. But then Boxing Day all the other stuff is still there. Yeah. So everyone eats the turkey and I'm like, well, I'm just going to eat 15 pigs blankets. <laughs> um, gonna eat and blankets. I'm just going to eat a pound of stuffing. And, yeah, stuffing and pickled onions and loads of bread and butter because that's just always there as yeah. well. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was lots of things. Okay, let's do, the, let's do a non-Christmas one. Okay. Thing. If you could cast Dwayne the Rock Johnson in any Disney remake, what would
0: it be? Oh my God.
1: Can I, first of all, have a little bit of a rant?
0: Yeah.
1: I hate Disney remakes.
0: Oh, yeah. They boil my blood. I'm over them. I didn't hate them to begin with, but no, I'm over I, them now. I just think there must be so
1: many stories that Disney gets sent that they're not making. Mm. So many original stuff, and they're just doing remakes that aren't any better than the original. It really, it just really bugs me. I hate
0: them. Yeah. I mean, there's some, like, I don't mind when they do uh like, what do you call it when it's like a different treatment of the story? So, like, I liked Maleficent, right? Right, I don't like that. I know you didn't, but, like, I that one I can live no, with because it's makes, a different story. No, that makes sense,
1: but I think I count a Disney remake as, like, them just remaking one of their cartoons. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, their animated films. Yeah, I'm not into that. But what I will say is Dwayne the Rock Johnson... We've just had this remake, so I hope that this doesn't happen, but he would have made an excellent Gaston. <laughs> I'd love to is see him as Is he not too Gaston.
1: nice for Gaston? But
0: that's why I'd love to see him play it, because oh, I yeah, think I he'd suppose. be so funny playing Gaston.
1: My answer, which is not a good answer, but if they ever did, which I hope they never do, but if they ever, like, remade Moana, I feel like he should just play his character from oh, Moana. Oh, yeah. That's because I hate them. Sorry.
0: But I do like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I do like him. yeah.
1: Okay, last one. Mm -hmm. Which is hard, I've actually not thought about this. Do you have a favourite present that you've bought for someone else?
0: Oh. This is hard. (laughs) I'm trying to think over the years.
1: I like to think I'm quite good at gifts, but I wouldn't say that there's, like, a standout one. One thing I started this year is... I can say this because it's coming out in Christmas, but I've got Aji LaRue for my sister and I'm going to, like, write my favourite quote in it mm. and, like, give it to her, which I feel like is just something I'm just going to start doing now when I give people books. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah. did we? Like,
0: we wanted to do inscriptions in books.
1: So, I, like, I just think that's really lovely. So, I, I like the idea that I'm going to do that, but that's... I don't know.
0: I think mine wasn't a Christmas gift, it was a birthday gift that I gave an ex, but basically, like, I booked us like a weekend away doing like outdoorsy shit mm. that I don't enjoy <laughs> but that I knew that he would yeah. and then I did obviously end up enjoying it cuz that's what happens but I was quite young at the time and it was quite difficult to like organize logistically and I had loads of people involved mm. to like carry it off yeah and I was like I remember feeling dead proud of myself that I'd managed yeah. to like save up and pay for it and organise it all on my own. I was very yeah. proud of myself. So That is cute. I feel like the the ones I like that I've given to people are
1: like handmade ones. Mm. Like like for my ex I remember he really loved the film I love it as well, Kubo and the Two Strings. I don't think you've seen that. No, I've it's not. it's really good. But like there's a little like army man who's made he's like origami, he's made of paper. Mm. And I did like a like a drawing Aww. of him and he looked like origami like like, i just remember liking that i don't know i try and do handmade stuff when i can
0: yeah i like when i i particularly like and i don't do this often because it takes a lot of time and i don't always have the time but i like making hampers for people Mm. so like at one point from mother's day i made my gran like a hamper of like basically she was going into hospital so it was like sad but i made her like I got her like a blanket and a book and like slippers and like new pajamas and stuff. And it was all stuff that she was going to get to use. Yeah. Then, and she like really appreciated that, and I felt good. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, I like when I have the time to like make a specialist like this is for this. Yeah. Or like yeah, no, I like that a r- little relaxation hamper or like a book hamper or something. Yeah, that's always fun
1: yeah me, me and my ex used to do like themed presents yeah I
0: remember you used to do that yeah
1: like we would just kind of pick like like I remember oh was it my birthday or was it Valentine's Day I, can't, I think it was my birthday and he did like a like a film themed gift so he got me posters he got me Star Wars posters, Indiana Jones posters Donnie Darko poster. like he mm-hmm. like just all stuff that I liked he got me like a little BB-8 toy and like like it was just Like, he did a theme, and I remember one, I think it was a birthday, he did, like, a, oh, am I going to say this in the podcast? Yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) Sorry, Liam. Our, like, nicknames to each other were Fox and Bun. Yeah. And he did a a present one year where it was all fox and rabbit-themed stuff. That's really Like, it was really cute. (laughs) So, like, I, I quite like, I don't do that. I've not done that outside of, like, that relationship, but I think that's quite a cute idea. Yeah. If if there's something you know someone really likes, you could do, like, a themed gift.
0: Yeah, I've done that. It might... This present might not got to the person by Christmas, so I won't say what it is or who it's for, but I did that for one of my presents this year. Yeah. I did, like... There's, like, a... Basically, it was themed around, like, things that she liked, and I sent her a gift. And it felt good. That's cute. It it feels, like, cohesive when you put it together. Yeah. You're like, this is is fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) want to exchange gifts
1: yeah we're going to exchange our gifts on the podcast which we'll see how this goes
0: because you guys can't see it (laughs) i know i'm gonna try really hard to have like a genuine reaction whilst also reacting out loud yeah i know (laughs) there you go thank you you go first because you have more thing like more items i'm going to go for a little item my absolutely amazing rapping skills (laughs) I can't wrap presents, they look like they've been wrapped <laughs> by a 10 year old. A meter of tape on the tiniest little
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is this like ASMR? <laughs> oh, it's got stars on it. Is that a little ghost? Yeah. Oh, I've got a scrunchie with rainbow ghosts on it. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> and one with gold stars. Which I realised the other day you actually have one just like that. But it's like velvet, the one I've got. yes, yeah, so that one's like I shiny. will definitely still wear it. Thank you. You're welcome. They're cute.
0: <laughs> I saw that ghost <laughs> on it. I was like, Emily needs to <laughs> one.
1: I'm going to wear that all year round. <laughs>
0: okay. I will open up one of mine. This, on the other hand, is beautifully wrapped. <coughs> We've got ribbon that's all curly. It's all shiny. We've got some classy brown paper. <laughs> I am gonna also go for a little one. We have appropriate amounts of tape. <laughs> oh, there's tissue paper and everything, man. Oh, that, well,
1: that wasn't me. But <laughs> I ripped the tissue paper, so <laughs> I covered it up.
0: Love that. Oh, it's pink. Whatever it is, it's pink. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. It's a tiny notebook. And it has a Charlotte Bronte quote and it says, I'm just going to write because I cannot help it. (laughs) I saw that and thought it was very you. (laughs) Thank you. I love that. And it's like jacket pocket size, which is perfect. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Oh my God, it's adorable. (laughs) It has the same energy as no shant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What is this? This might (gasps) need some... No, she gets it, it's fine. Uh, oh my god <laughs> I don't even know how you would know what that is. Cause I did my fucking research. <laughs> right, so <laughs> oh I'm so happy. Rebecca's got me a t shirt,
1: which first of all is a very nice t shirt. It feels very it? nice. And it's a reference to a podcast I really like called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet. And they, in like their first episode, they they have like a review from someone called the the Baron of Cream. I can't remember how it even comes up, but she's got me
0: a t-shirt that says that on it, and it's like got a literal Baron of Cream illustrated on it. That's amazing. Well done. <laughs> I'm so glad you like that. That was such a risk person. I was like, what if? This is such a niche bit of this podcast that she doesn't even No,
1: they know talk it. about it a lot. I just can't, I can't remember where it came about, but oh. I know it,
0: yeah. Oh, I'm so rel- <laughs> <laughs> That also arrived yesterday. Oh, did so it? That's funny. that that was in time. Oh my god. Oh my god. Because you were, there was so much podcast merch and I was like, yeah. I don't know what to pick and I just thought that was a really cool t-shirt. <laughs> it is a cool t-shirt, thank you. What is this? It's also pink. And it has a sticker on it that says, thank you for supporting my small business. Ethical (laughs) shopping. Support small
1: businesses, guys.
0: What are we doing?
1: (sighs) Oh my god.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god.
1: (laughs) You need to smell it.
0: It's a star's hollow candle. It smells of coffee. (laughs) It smells of coffee and cinnamon. It smells like the latte I drink every single day. Yeah. And it's glittery. (laughs) And it has a quote on top, and it's a Lorelei Gilmore quote, and it says, Hey, I have a huge dilemma that I need your opinion on. Am I more beautiful today than yesterday? (laughs) Which is very much something I would say. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love it. (laughs) Oh my god. It's so good. (laughs) Alright, I'll give you your next lot. I'll give you this one. Okay. Oh! Oh, I think I know what this is!
1: <gasps> it's so pretty! I know! Oh, it's the Cersei one. Right. <laughs> How do I mean to explain this? I bought like five candles from this company called the Honeymoon Apothecary. Apoth- I can't say that Apothecary. word. Apothecary. And they came out after I ordered them all. They came out with a Dark Goddess collection, and Rebecca's
0: got me the Cersei one because you love Cersei. Oh, it smells nice. Does it? I, d- I haven't properly smelled it because I didn't want to take it out. Mm. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. To be honest, they nice. all like they all sounded amazing, but this yeah. one I thought you would like the smell of best. Yeah. Oh, it comes with stuff. There's a Spotify playlist to listen to as you light
1: your candle. I know. And answer your journal prompts.
0: It says on the front of it, magic energy inspired by Greek goddess of magic. Oh, it's so small. (laughs) Inspired by Greek goddess of magic and sorceress Circe, She was known for her knowledge of herbs, potions, and the ability to protect herself. Scented with frankincense and myrrh and infused with tiger's eye a stone of protection which helps focus their mind and dispel anxiety wow. that was what ah. I
1: got oh I love it also the candle's black, like the actual wax is black, yeah it looks badass which is so cool, oh thank you <laughs> you're welcome, this is like there's a bunch of things in here Okay. <laughs> wow, yep I haven't opened it, so I'm really worried it's I hope a, everything's
0: okay it's, it's a literary emporium box I'm buzzing <laughs> oh my god, right Right, right. (sighs) There's a ribbon to untie. It's so pretty. I know. Oh my god, it's so pretty. I know, I literally
1: have not inside
0: it. Look at that. The inside of the box is all, like, gothic symbols and references. So it's got, like, the bee from the Starless Sea?
1: I don't think it's from the Starless Sea. I I don't... It's from... It's from something. It's
0: Sylvia Plath.
1: Yeah, it's Sylvia It's Sylvia Plath. It is,
0: yeah. And it's got, like, a hand mirror and, like... Quotes yeah. and it's
1: that's all art that like she does like for the. It's her beautiful. website. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> it has the most beautiful copy of the Bell Jar. I know you have it, but I just saw that copy and thought you needed to have it.
0: I I do need to have this. Oh my god! Thank you. Oh my god! It's so shiny. It's gold <laughs> and shiny and black. And I have Hamza's copy anyway, so I really should give him that back. Okay, well, there we go. So I don't have my own copy. Thank (laughs) you so much. Oh, and it's got, like, one of my best quotes is the inscription. It has a little bit on the back, and it just says, I was supposed to be having the time of my life. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) I'll wait and open the rest of the box. I'll give you you another one in between. There you go. Oh, a little one. A little tiny box with different papers. But also stars on it <laughs> mm-hmm. all your stuff was star star wrapped oh what
1: is this i have a little wooded box with stars on it how does it open does it just come off yeah oh do you know what these are meant to like mean because i don't know oh i have i have crystals
0: <laughs> yeah have um oh god is it not in there that's annoying. You've
1: left a little, like, note on what they are.
0: Oh, right, yeah. So, I did know at one point what they meant, <laughs> but we can just look them up. Um, <gasps> they're so pretty. But, yeah, I think one of them is meant to be, like, creativity. Yeah. And I think one of them's meant to be, like, just general well-being and protection, if I remember right. Yeah. <gasps> but I just thought they were really pretty, to they be are. honest. They are. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And I like the little box. I just thought it was fun. Yeah. Did they come in the box? No, not in the box. Oh, you picked the box. Oh. So the box isn't for the stones. It's just, I I, I put will... them in there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Let me explore my <laughs> literary pouring box further. What's this? I think thing? there's two more things. Yeah, there's two yeah. more. So, I'll have a little. Ooh. <laughs> I have a pen. What have I eaten? Lies and smiles. I don't know that reference. It's It
1: should all be from the bell jar. Is it? Okay.
0: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I just didn't remember that quote. Love that. Thank you. It's so pretty. It's like <laughs> in rose gold. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, this feels like a book. I feel like
1: we always get each other a book without fail, don't we? Yeah,
0: we kind of read not to. <laughs> we literally have a book podcast. Oh. This was a wild card book for you. Though. I don't recognise.
1: Oh! That's cool. It's called Perfume, A Century of Sense. By Lizzie Orstrom.
0: So yeah, it's non-fiction, which I know is not normally like your full bag, but I like you non-fiction lo- you every love now perfume. and then.
1: I do love perfume.
0: <gasps>
1: this is cool.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Do you want me to read it out? <laughs> if you want,
1: tell me. Rebecca's written a note in the book, and it says, "Emily, Merry Christmas. Twenty twenty stinks, but I suspect a sweet smell of success next year."
0: Of Rebecca. <laughs> oh. That's so cool. So it's got like all the, like the way that she writes. She tells the story of all these perfumes. Really, like it's like lively. Yeah. I feel. Was it was something boring? <gasps> that sounds very cool thank you you're I'm welcome excited to read that i just m- mainly got bamboozled with all your fiction wish lists and <laughs> i was like I don't, I don't know what books to buy you <laughs> so. so there you go and i have a- oh my goodness i have a t-shirt i have a t-shirt and it's a heart and a bell jar <laughs> <laughs> oh my god And it says, I am, I am, I am, which is from the Belger. Thank you! You're welcome. Whoa, it's quite big. Oh well. (laughs) Here, it'd be comfy.
1: Yeah. Do you know who I saw that has that t-shirt, weirdly? Um, I think so. I think it's the same t-shirt. That guy on TikTok who does the PhD (laughs) stuff? Like, he was- I'm pretty sure it's that one. I was like, oh, that's interesting.
0: That's cool. Oh, it's so cute though. Thank you very (laughs) much. You're welcome. Oh, there's so many nice things. (laughs) And I have one more thing for you, but it's really just an extra. Thank you. Oh, can't go wrong, can you? Massive box of Ferrero Rocher. What can I say? Amazing. We will enjoy those later. Yep. I mean, let's be honest, that's half a present to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because (laughs) she'll open them and be like, have some. Nice. Thank you.
1: I will enjoy those. Oh, and that's your card. Oh, thank you. Sorry, (laughs) I I don't do cards. I'm bad at cards. No, that's all right. Oh, well, that was fun. That was fun. Hopefully, that was interesting to you
0: guys. Oh, um, I feel all warm and happy. Same. So that's is our like flatmate Christmas anyway. Like yeah. we're always going to exchange gifts today, and we're going to go watch a Christmas film. Mm-hmm. It's going to be nice. But yeah, hope that you all had slash are having a nice Christmas. Yes. And we'll see you in the new year. Emily, you've got some stuff to tell us about that.
1: Yes, we just wanted to let you know that we are going on a little break, but that doesn't mean you won't have an episode. You will still have one in two weeks' time. We recorded a bonus Q&A episode uh, a little while back. So that will go up to give us some time (laughs) to chill over the holidays. And we'll be back the fortnight after, as usual, with our... Usual kind of episode. Yeah, which will be significantly shorter than this. Yes, oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) I've just looked at the time. (laughs) If you have any comments or questions for us, please email infatuatedpodcast at outlook.com. We have social media, which is linked in the show notes, and our advent calendar will be all finished. So you have a month's worth of, well, almost a month's worth of content to look through on our Instagram and all the songs that you mentioned are on the infatuated mix as well and i think that is everything now. i
0: think that is everything yeah have a very merry christmas take care and we will see you in the new year yes bye, bye.